The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the real Jane Russell. And by that, obviously, I mean the classic star of screen and radio, Jane Russell, Joe Reed. Uh, 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 va, 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 voom. What was, what was Jane Russell's thing? Was she, like, um... Uh, Jane Russell's thing was decolletage. Da- Jane oh, okay. Russell was the one who, like... Well, here, um, her cleavage. <laughs> Her cleavage in was it the outlaw was like do we need to like I think that was part of the thing of like the legion of decency I can't remember okay like, but uh, she's also um the other half of the two some in gentlemen prefer blondes so I guess I did make one more ex- one more reason that I need to watch gentlemen for prefer blondes which I have now at least acquired so now it's just a matter of finding time. oh you're gonna you're gonna be so happy it should maybe be the first movie you watch after the Oscars yeah. when you just have a treat yeah you know and you're there are so many movies and now I'm just like oh once the Oscars are done I'll be able to watch just a movie for pleasure won't that be nice <laughs> won't that be fun not now. Including now I gotta watch. I, I've gotta watch Io Capitano and, uh, and fucking Twenty Days in Mario. Golda. So, oh well, Golda I watched. So, uh, <laughs> Golda, the uh, the anti nicotine ad of your of your dreams and nightmares. That is, you have seen. You have been maybe one of two dozen people that I have seen seeing this movie, and everybody's first takeaway for this movie is, like, she just smokes the whole movie. It's the whole fucking movie, Chris. Like, I swear to God, it's just, like, that's (laughs) literally, it's it has more commentary on the smoking than it does on uh, Israel and and Palestine. It's the craziest. It was honestly my first note about Maestro, too, so I guess, you know, you need to do your year in movie smoking. Well, you know I love to do a year in movie smoking, but like normally I'm like, oh god, like Andre Holland in Moonlight, like, you know, fan my fan the flames. He's so hot in that. And this is just like Golda's tar stained fingers. And like, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh no, this isn't glamorous at all. This is horrible. Um yeah I'll watch Golda. Anyway. I think I think now available on Paramount Plus. I I think I'm going to try to do completism again this year. You're so the close, that... Chris. You're you're closer than I am right now. Yeah, but and yet so far away. Don't... Because that means I'm going to have to watch the Indiana Jones movie. I, and I really it's, don't. It's so funny that that is your hill that you refuse to That's the on. one I'm complaining about and not Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, no, <laughs> I really no, Jones. Because I actively loved Guardians of the Galaxy 3, um, which is the only Guardians of the Galaxy movie that but I But I think you would probably presume that that would be my barrier to entry this year. Well, or something like 
longer, maybe? The thing about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is it's not great, but it is, like, categorically not awful. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I've seen some people say that it's, like, irredeemable and whatever. I don't quite understand that. It is, at worst, dumb, but, like, okay. All right. It just seems like it's elder abuse, you know? Like, leave this man alone. You've talked before about Pretzel Bites movies. Like, this is a Pretzel Bites movie. Like, for sure. Mm, I don't know. Get yourself some Pretzel Bites. Microwave yourself up some some Bagel Bites or something. Ew, Pretzel Bites at home? Gross. Well, that's why I switched to Bagel Bites, because as soon as I said that, oh, I was okay. like, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bagel Bites are good. Something, um, like some toasty, or not toasty, Totino's pizza rolls, like something like that. Something that you can nosh on while you're watching it'll be fine it can't hurt anyway joe yes we're here talking about i'm sure we're going to have interesting an interesting conversation about the quality of this movie but i think regardless of what we think about the quality of the movie or pieces of the movie we're here talking about a somewhat unmitigated disaster. <laughs> well, so here's the for thing. For several reasons. The thing about the woman in the related. window is like, there are so many levels of disaster that you could talk about, whether it's the Joe Wright, Tony Gilroy thing. Is Was it Tony or Dan Gilroy? Which of the Gilroys stepped in to, to finish? Uh, Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy. There's that level of it. There's the pandemicness of it where it was, you know, delayed. And then delayed again by the pandemic, and then it was released, and it became this like weird commentary on the pandemic. There's the whole fucking Dan Mallory thing, like plagiarist, fabulist. Like I've got quotes from the from that New Yorker expose on him that will like blow your mind. They're really fun. I was hoping you would go in on that portion of uh, the story for this movie because I was I felt like out of the loop. And I well, was I'm like, glad that you're oh, going to you go in to tell me that. Yeah, the author of one of these like shitty airport books that everybody is reading is maybe dubious. I'm shocked. Well, but that's so I never really. That's knew the that other story. thing, though, is that like the levels of sort of what this. By the way, if I seem distracted, it's because I'm looking at a window, like a window shade that is going to fall down because it's like just listeners if he sounds distracted he is watching someone get murdered in okay building across the street literally as i look like as i'm facing the way i have myself aligned here i'm literally facing the window so that i can get like light on my face so i don't look like shadowy and awful to chris but like i'm looking right into the window of my next door neighbor so like literally this weirdly julianne moore is over there with a bloody hand pressed it's never julianne moore chris every time i look out and into that window it's never julianne moore i'm always so sad um i have faith that you'll see some famos over in buffalo soon you have an eclipse coming oh yeah like the world is is being drawn to us we have an eclipse coming in april if it wasn't a monday i would totally come up there just like i don't know Make make an, the eclipse day a holiday at at your at your place of business. Go agitate for that and uh, uh, say that you are you have you are a moon. You worship the moon in some way or another, and so this is a religious holiday for you. And you can come visit. Uh, Joe, you shouldn't be revealing details of my personal life on air. <laughs> we talked about this. Um, but well, but what I was going to say was another layer is the uh, the degree to which this book, The Woman in the Window, is like. A rans- you know how in a ransom note they like cut out letters from magazine headlines or whatever to like so you don't know like it's it's just like chopped up pieces like chopped up words 
from the girl on the train and but also rear window and it's just like it's so obviously takes its cues from those particular sources that it's just like to the point that the movie is like okay well this is homage and like this is all back in you know popular lexicon this type of genre right so the movie i think in a lot of ways that are very fun and interesting does homage to rear window brian de palma uh etc etc we'll get into it but my thing with the book controversy which i'm hoping you'll be able to illuminate for me and the listeners this episode is i'm like you hear things of like plagiarism lobbed at the book and i'm like well yeah this genre just everybody just rips each other off to what degree is it actual plagiarism or is this guy a plagiarist in this particular case i'll just say the accusations of plagiarism are much less interesting than uh the accusations of just this author completely fabricating the story of his his whole life life. to get jobs and opportunities and and whatnot and it's like that to me is what's you know, really, really fascinating. So, um, because yes, this movie, this this movie, and thus the book, is very obviously a product of its influences. But um, okay. But all that said, so you sort of led with the fact that like this is sort of an unmitigated disaster, and it like it is on so many levels, and yet watching it. At some point, it becomes very watchable. It's not always very watchable. Sometimes it's kind of unbearably clunky and and cliche. cliched. Yes. Um, and then at some point, I'm just like, oh, this is just going for it in so many weird ways. By the time the like the the car in the snowy field or whatever is in the Fabulous. alcove of her of her brownstone, Fabulous. I'm like, okay, well now we have just like absolutely tripped the wire and. It's where the like Joe Wrightisms sneak in that they haven't, you know, Scrubbed defanged out. whatever his vision was for this movie that, you know, got so watered down in reshoots. We'll probably get into it and whatever, but like I guess I can understand after the the Disney Fox merger where Disney's like, oh, this doesn't look like um you know, what we would want to do (laughs) with a movie. And yet, like, it's the only thing that would save this movie from being, like, a bland glass of milk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, it was never going to be this, like, tight, taut thriller. Like, for as much as I love Tony Gilroy, um, but it was never going to be anything quite so sleek, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's just so... Hori, you know what I mean? It's just so, you know. I'll maybe save my Tony Gilroy thoughts for after the we get through the plot description. Uh-oh, uh-oh. But she has Tony We should Gilroy. say yes. uh somewhat up the top that we are here doing another Patreon Selects episode. That's right. This is our last one for the time being, though we have one on deck that <laughs> when our when our new sugar daddy Gary sent in that suggestion, I was like, ooh. 
yeah. boy. Um, we uh, we were originally going to do next month all next Patreon month. January, and then that bled into and also half of February. But like we are <laughs> because we forgot class of twenty twenty three was we did a January episode. Not so episode. um, you're getting extra. But here's the thing about these Patreon selects: they've been uniformly very interesting to talk about, and in a lot of cases were movies that I don't think would have been on our, like, I would not have put Eight Women on our radar, nor would I have put Sister Act. And, like, those were so fun to talk about. This is Mm -hmm. definitely much more solidly in the wheelhouse of this movie definitely once upon a time had Oscar buzz. This movie definitely crashed and burned. Like, this is, this is, uh, one we would have crashed and burned several times. Like, uh-huh. Fell through Wiley Coyote style, several layers of drywall and floor. Crashed through a skylight, down the stairwell, past Wyatt Russell's dead body, um into the sewer system, floated down river through a waterfall into an abyss <laughs> of toxic waste, only to reemerge as the Joker. I was going to say, past the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, past uh, Oswald Cobblepot and his Penguin Army. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> down to down to where you become the Joker. Yeah. Past a sea of purple slime from Ghostbusters 2. There are so many performances in this movie that I can't wait to just like be like, Chris, was this a good performance or a bad performance? Because I genuinely don't know. Um, there is a genuinely great performance in this movie. There is, and we'll I wonder if we're it. thinking the same thing. I hope we are. Um, but anyway, we'll get to it. And we also have a six-timers. Uh, yeah, we I'm do. I'm shocked we only have one in this movie, because the cast is a lot of people that we have talked about a lot. Well, Amy Adams has blown... Has Wait, no. Amy Adams hasn't. Amy Adams hasn't. That's right. Amy Adams is the one where it's like, it's surprising we've done so few on Amy Adams, but it's because she gets fucking nominated for everything. Right. Uh, right. Hold on. Um, it's... Yeah, it is only our third Amy Adams movie ever, 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 ever on this podcast. Is that not insane? We've done Big Eyes and Dear Evan Hansen and The Woman in the Window. So truly, we only pick the most unwell <laughs> of the Amy Adams filmography to do on We're this gonna podcast. We're going to have a lot of Amy Adams to talk about. Uh, I want to... Peter is our... the. Uh, Sugar Daddy, who chose this for us? That's right. Thank you, Peter. Our sponsor tier, uh, one of many, one of multiple Peters that we have at the sponsor tier. Peter did not send in a uh, Oscar origin. That's okay. However, uh, I just wanted to uh, read off some of Peter's notes. And that is, I just want to say I really enjoy the podcast and it's helped me immensely during difficult times, especially as a physician during the pandemic. It was so great to have an enjoyable weekly distraction. Everybody, clang those pots and pans for Peter. Uh, We love you. We support your service. Uh, I have been enjoying Patreon so much and am excited for more episodes. I think the Oscar buzz status for Woman in the Window was likely completely gone by the time it came out. But it was a highly anticipated movie. Peter, correct and correct. Mm-hmm. I think also Amy Adams is always an interesting conversation, and she was truly buzzed for any movie. This was a bestseller, even with a dubious author at the center. In addition, Joe Wright has turned unusual movies, unusual movies in Oscar movies in the past, and felt overdue for some recognition himself. Also, the troubled history of the movie would make for an interesting conversation. Peter, we agree, and we hope we deliver. Yes. Thank you, Peter. That was uh, 
Couldn't have said it better myself why this is a perfect this and Oscar Buzz movie. So, yes. Joe, before we get into it, why don't you tell our listeners about our Patreon? Why don't I? Uh, listeners, if you are not already a member of this Head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance, which is what we are calling our Patreon uh, uh, endeavor, uh, you can join for only $5 a month. You will get so much stuff. Uh, we have two bonus episodes per month that we are delivering to you. Uh, uh, episodes that sort of fall under one of two umbrellas. The first On the first of the month, you will be getting an episode for a movie that we are calling An Exception, which is a movie that almost qualifies for this at Oscar buzz, except, oops, it got an Oscar nomination or two, or sometimes three. Um, uh, Such movies that we have covered have included Charlie Wilson's War, uh, the uh, Aaron Sorkin, Mike Nichols uh, disaster. Yeah. Um, uh, Charlie Wilson's War. Also, the Barbara Streisand film The Mirror Has Two Faces, which is um, a deeply fascinating treatise on many things. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Australia, which we talked about with our friend Katie Rich. Peter Jackson's The Lovely Bones, which was a, uh, a patron-selected uh, movie that they selected from a poll. We have another movie coming soon that will also be a patron-selected movie, so we are very excited for that as well. Then on the 15th of every month, we're going to give you a sort of format-breaking episode that we're calling an excursion. So those are uh, not talking about a specific movie, but we'll be talking about, oh, the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable from a certain year, or an award show. We talked about the 1996 MTV Movie Awards, I think, to great acclaim. Coming this week, we are doing our uh, This Had Oscar Buzz Superlatives. So that would be our excuse for an award show that is cobbled together from the ah uh, burnt ends of various awards <laughs> from uh, uh, different award all shows. the weird categories throughout the season. All the weird categories that are not replicated on the Oscars ballot uh, will be doing, including a Grolsch People's Choice Award for Best Picture that is voted on by our patrons. That Chris File has been furiously tabulating via the Oscars preferential ballot system in a way that, as I mentioned this last time, the nerd nerdy zeal in which you are diving into the tabulations of this, Chris, it's is making me very happy. Is Joe Reed core. So it's also like it's something that we share. I think that uh that impulse love an excuse to run a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um I'm very, very excited to see. I'm I'm letting Chris handle all of that. He is our Ernst and Young. He is our Price Waterhouse Cooper. He has the ballots. He has the envelopes. He will not screw it up. And um, we're very excited to see how that. So that's our uh, this at Oscar Bus Superlatives episode that you'll be able to listen to this week if you are or will be uh, signed up for this at Oscar Bus Turbulent Brilliance. Uh, we also do. We have a hotline that you can uh, partake of that you can ask us questions and we will. Uh, we will be producing answers uh, to at various intervals. So there's polls. There's, uh, you know, you can chat in the comments. We don't have a Discord yet. That's sort of in long-term plans. We know people have been asking about it. Um, we're, we, we've got it on the brain. We've just got to figure out how to do it because we don't know how to do it. Um, but <laughs> as of now, like... The internet scares me. The comments on Patreon... Uh, are really like already that's like decent good discussion we love hearing from our patrons in that way so um sign up five dollars a month i think it's a value um i know uh in this crazy world of ours who knows what five dollars a month means but 
uh, as they used to say, uh, it's a cup of coffee, right? It's a, these days, $5 is a decently inexpensive cup of coffee. <laughs> so, um, uh, for, it's a pastry. It's a pastry. It's a pastry. That's a good Danish. It's a nice, mwah, solid Danish. So, um, not a gas station Danish, yeah. a bakery Danish. A good Danish. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can go to this had Oscar, Bu- or sorry, patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. And yeah. Joe. Chris. I'm hearing word that there is a woman in a window. Wait, 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 wait. There is a woman staring out the window at another <laughs> a woman. A second woman has entered the a window. A second woman is in a window. No. <laughs> Uh, and that woman has a doppelganger. Crazy. Not a doppelganger. What's what's the word for uh, somebody else who's using their name? A lot of uh, this movie is this movie is just blonde core. It's it's very everyone in it is blonde to the point that I it feels like a red herring that Fred Hetchinger looks like Wyatt Russell uh-huh. pre puberty. Like my favorite thing about this movie is. Wyatt Russell acting menacing long past the point where we don't need him to be a red herring anymore, (laughs) where literally he does like the jump scare that a killer would do, except like he's the victim. And he's so, just a creep in her basement. Uh, God bless Wyatt Russell. Um, he's he's giving you glower, glower power in this uh, in this movie for sure. Is Wyatt Russell the one that I always confuse for the pickle guy, or is Wyatt Russell the pickle guy? Would love for you to tell me who pickle guy is. Maggie's plan. The Maggie's plan pickle guy. Oh, let's look up Maggie's plan real quickly. He sells pickles. He's a pickle guy. It might Wait, be. There's also another movie that has a pickle guy. I think the Maggie's the plan pickle, pickle guy is not American, right? Ooh. I don't remember. It's been a minute since I've seen Maggie's plan. Let's see. Another movie where Julianne Moore is excellent. <laughs> oh, excellent. What was she? She was talking about that in some sort of either roundtable or one-on-one. Um, was it her one-on-one with, with Annette Benning? I think it was. They were talking about um, her actors on actors with Annette Benning, where she was talking about, like, spent, like, long minutes talking about her preparation for, for uh, Maggie's plan, her role in Maggie's plan. It was great. I loved it. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of preparation. It took several hours to get her into those bizarre sweaters. Um. Okay, so the pickle guy was played by... Oh, that's Travis Fimmel. Different guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Travis Fimmel, who's in the Vikings show, and... Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like Wyatt Russell. Yes, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, But not Wyatt Russell. White Russell, of course, so the, the, the scion of one of the great Hollywood couples, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. What did you see? I was okay. So I don't, I don't do TikTok. Like constitutionally, I. I can't handle TikTok. But in Instagram's efforts to TikTokify itself, I will end up getting caught in a reels loop every once in a while, and. As because you watch a reel that you want to watch that like maybe your friend did or somebody that you follow did, and then it like loops you into a bunch of other reels. So a reel that I saw was Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell in some sort of like joint interview capacity, and they just started cracking each other up about like I can't even remember. It was it was about like literally just like 
do you watch your own movies or not? And and they just started like laughing at each other, and it was so delightfully like endearing that it's just like this is just a father and son who enjoy each other's company and like can laugh at each other and sort of make fun of each other a little bit. But I found it really, really, and I can't. Lord knows how I like look up maybe like Kurt Russell Wyatt Russell laughing, and maybe you'll find it. Um, but it's is a good moment. I love them. Love that family. Wild that the first actor that we really dove into with any depth in this episode is Wyatt Russell. I know, I know. Woman in the Window. Yes. Directed by Mr. Joe Wright, slash who probably ever did the reshoots, if it was or was not Tony Gilroy. Yeah. Written by Tracy Letts and with uncredited rewrites by Tony Gilroy. We will obviously get into it based on the book by A.J. Finn. Starring one Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, a mysteriously third build yeah, Anthony Mackie. We'll talk about crazy. it. Crazy, yeah. That's got to be uh, reshoots uh, casualty, right? Or Marvel contract type of deal. I don't know. That's Anthony Mackie. God bless him, and God bless Falcon in the Marvel movies. I don't know if he was that had that much juice, but like, I don't know. We'll see. Brian Tyree Henry, Fred Hetchinger, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Wyatt Russell, and in a voice only performance, Mr. Tracy Lett. No, he's in it. He is? Yeah, he shows up in a few scenes. He's 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 there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Anthony Mackie who you think is gonna be only voice only, and then he's in the flashback. Right. But Anthony Mackie is just on the phone. And Tracy L- Yes, you're right. Tracy Letts does show up. Yeah. But like that was clearly the the scene the only scenes in this movie i think that you can guarantee were not part of reshoots are any of the wild stuff yeah. that is very clearly joe wright and the scenes that have tracy letts in them because tracy letts is one of the people who's just fully disavowed this movie and i yeah. mean you can see the several reasons why yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know he didn't show up to those reshoots yeah yeah totally uh the movie at long last, was released on Netflix. Uh, the long and winding road to Netflix. May of 2021. <laughs> yeah. In the flat circle that was the two the first two years of COVID. Yes. Joe. Yes. You are tasked with giving a 60-second plot description of everything that happens in Woman in the Window. Yes. Are you ready for it? Yeah, but like, fair warning, I'm not, I don't have it written out, so it is gonna go... I don't think there's a lot of plot to this movie. There's more than you think because it's all like doubling back on itself and like what's really going on and what we think is going on. Sure, sure. I I did text you before watching it the other day that I was, I somehow remembered this being an over two hour movie and was so surprised to find out it was a buck 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, some of that has to be a lot of the movie being trimmed down with reshoots, etc. But Imagine trimming down a movie with reshoots just to release it on Netflix. I mean, because that, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 we'll get into it, but it's just it makes you wonder why they didn't just release the original. And yeah. maybe, maybe Joe Wright's version was authentically confusing. We'll get sure, into it. but like, yeah, release the Joe Wright, code. or maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Um, Joe, your 60-second plot description for The Woman in the Window starts now. All right, Amy Adams plays Anna, who is an agoraphobic uh, psychologist, child psychologist 
who lives on 121st Street and spies on her neighbors. The new neighbors across the street are the Russells, uh, including uh, uh, Julianne Moore, who shows up on... uh, Well, first, the son, uh, Ethan, shows up, and he's sort of very damaged and reticent, and of course, it appeals to Amy Adams as a child psychologist. But then, later on, uh, Julianne Moore shows up, and it's, you know, you must be Mrs. Russell. And she's kooky with a capital K, and they both sort of like bond over thirty being seconds, kind of messes. And then uh, the next day, maybe time is flat circle. Um, uh, Amy sees her screaming from across the the street, and there's a stabbing. And Julianne Moore is stabbed, and she puts her hand on the window, and it's, ah, she calls the police, and someone's been stabbed. And then the next day, uh, Gary Oldman comes over, and he's like, Ten "That seconds. was my wife, and and my wife is alive, and my wife is Jennifer Jason Lee." And she says, "I'm Jane Russell," and it's. So what did Amy see and what did and she's being sort of like gaslit and she's being terrorized 60. and the son is like that my mother is alive and is whatever and then Wyatt Russell plays the tenant in the basement and he's perma sus at all times and Brian Terry Henry's the kindly cop and then his friend is like the mean cop and everything one thinks Amy is lying and she was lying so sort of she's going crazy because she's drinking on her medication and in reality the husband and daughter who we thought were just like estranged from her actually died in a car accident because she was fumbling for her phone because people shouldn't do that um so she's really in grief and she plans to kill herself and uh makes videos just like don't blame Wyatt Russell I'm just killing myself um and uh then uh Ethan the teenage boy shows up and turns out he's not this sort of simple damaged boy, but he is in fact a murderer and he murdered uh, Julianne Moore, who was his birth mother, not his uh, Jennifer Jason Lee mother. And uh, then he murdered somebody in Boston who has worked for his father. And now he's going to murder Amy Adams because it seems like he's murdering like mother figures or something. And he's, you know, cuckoo bananas and they fight on the roof and he like stabs her with a, a garden uh, claw. I believe that's called a hoe, a garden hoe. No, the hoe is the thing with the flat, whatever. It's the claw. It's the handheld oh, claw. Because right. it like yeah, yeah, broings yeah. into her cheek. Anyway, garden claw into her face and then tries to drown her. And she gets the jump on him and she puts him through the skylight and uh, he dies. And then Brian Tyree Henry's like, our bad. You were telling the truth the whole time. And the end. 90 seconds over. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Part of that was you trying to gaslight me that a garden claw was a... I know garden claw is probably the wrong name, but it's not a hoe. Like, Yeah, you're right. The The hoe is like the flat square. As Queen Latifah thing. once told us in the 90s, it ain't a rake or a hoe. Here we go. And uh, Right. Uh, first note, <laughs> not his birth mother, his Jennifer Jason Lee mother, which I think we can all agree, Jennifer Jason Lee mother, <laughs> mother uh, yeah. correct? Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, who it's easy to presume was part of the reshoots for this, I think because she was never really listed among the cast roundups as right. all the like high profile cast and yet were she is like the movie. centerpiece of the trailer because like the trailer all leads up to her being like i'm jane <laughs> russell and and it's kind of like a uh uh a like it's remember how i said that i wished i had seen the megan trailer in theaters because like uh and the, i saw the megan trailer at home and i saw the megan movie in theaters and i wished it had been the other way around <laughs> 
because right, like right. the Megan trailer feels like the the moment that you wanted to be in a crowded theater full of homosexuals just falling all over themselves. Uh, right. And right. it feels like the Jennifer Jason Lee moment in the trailer for Women in the Window was like that too, where it's just like Jennifer Jason Lee? What? Like, <laughs> and like basically that's her almost entire screen performance. She maybe says ten words in this movie and still half we'll of be them are I'm Jane Russell. <laughs> she says I'm Jane Russell at least twice. So like that's six words. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a seven-word chorus, girl. <laughs> Doesn't know the words. The words. Uh, I'm doing <laughs> the Shea-Coulet hand flap thing. The words. Yeah. Um, that was whoever Jennifer Jason Lee replaced at the last minute. Some other blonde actress. Right. So, okay, Chris, give me the like long and winding production history of this. Because I want when we when we talk about reshoots and who we suspect was in the original version and the not version, I, I, we, we need a baseline, and I'm, okay. I'm counting on you. So the movie, the book comes out in 2018, gets fast-tracked into a movie. Yeah. It's a hit novel at that time. Movie is done with production by the end of 2018. At the beginning of 2019 is when all the stuff comes out about the author. We'll loop back to that, Joe. You can talk I about will. it. And the movie is planned for release in the fall of 2019. Now, in the meantime of all of this going out, is the Disney buying out 20th Century Fox. Yes. Which had been in the works since, like, 2017. Yes. And meanwhile, in 2018, we're complaining about all of these movies, like Widows, that are getting screwed, that are in the Fox lineup, that really, like, Disney's has no impetus to do anything with. much yeah. for them. Yeah. And we know that Woman in the Window is in the docket. In the, f- in the summer, they move it a year ahead and say that there will be reshoots all because of bad test scores for the movie. And the the party line was that the movie was confusing and they wanted to do reshoots to help clarify certain things. <laughs> Mission, the party line. Not accomplished. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the party line is that, you know, it's just a few pickups and such, but meanwhile we find out that Tony Gilroy is in charge of doing the writing of these of these reshoots. Right. Which if you followed the Rogue One reshoots yes. with any modicum of attention, Similar you pattern. know yeah. that that probably means the movie was majorly overhauled. Yeah. The end result of it is not really because unless they did some major divergence from the book and then the reshoots were just to basically do what the book does. You know, the plot follows the book, so it's hard to right. imagine that there was a major creative overhaul. What it more so seems like when you watch the movie is a lot of Joe Wright's stylistic flourishes and the flourishes that, you know, are referential to, you know, Rear staples of yeah. the the genre. Because that's the other thing is Those she's probably watching got movies down. throughout this, the, you know, throughout the movie. She's watching um, Rear Window. What's the Lauren Bacall? She's watching something with Lauren Bacall. A lot of these like noir movies. And right. um, clearly that are meant to be in conversation with the movie. And in this version of it, it just seems it seems a lot flatter, right? It's just like, oh, you're showing me a still from Rear Window, I guess, to like get out ahead of the accusations of oh you're just ripping off rear, rear window but like you one imagines that joe wright had a more and i could be you know talking out my ass but like one imagines that that stuff was there for a more 
stylistic purpose. It becomes more about a, a conversation about how these stories are told something, on screen. Something. You know, like it's a it's an homage to genre. Yeah. And like you have the stuff that's like the blood splatter across the screen that yes. you know is really there for its own sake. Yeah. And or like the multiple split diopter shots, which are obviously, you know, yeah. the hallmark of De Palma. Right. Right. Uh throughout the movie. And so <laughs> reshoots, we presume something happened. Either they dampened that down or they maybe uh, reshot it to look exactly like what the, to the story to play out as it does in the book, maybe. Right. Because I will say that finale freely looks like crap. And it does various points of the movie fred hetchinger is definitely aging on screen yeah uh tiny baby boy fred hetchinger and uh the movie uh is supposed to come out from disney slash fox in may of 2020 we all know what happens yeah and by late summer there's reports that disney is looking to sell the movie because you know this was also a time of the we didn't really know where disney was going to use hulu in all of it they still don't uh, know strategy Hulu's gonna end up getting shuttered because they just have never known what to do with it great right great job by the way great great um you know general structure by the by the country and allowing you know not pressing antitrust you know, regulations to keep this merger from happening. Everything worked out well. It's only going to get worse, too. So It is going to get worse. But they have things like, speaking of Tracy Letts, the Adrian Line Dark Water movie that they do push off onto Hulu. Um, That was also, I believe, a Fox thing. So there was some thought that this is how how the woman in the window would come out. But we hear these reports that they're trying to sell the movie uh, probably to Netflix. And this is also the time of Netflix was buying up random, uh, you know, any anything that w- was looking to get picked up during the pandemic, like the Malcolm and Marie's, were going to Netflix, but also there were other things that were sold to Netflix or talked about getting sold to Netflix because they had the they were willing to pay for it and they had the in- infrastructure for it. Yeah. So that does get confirmed in late summer 2020 and then crickets until suddenly maybe was it like March or so of 2021 we hear that it's coming out in May yeah. on Netflix. It does well on Netflix, but with basically no promotion behind it. Yes. I think maybe Amy Adams did like a Good Morning America type of thing. It did. There was there was such a sense of sweep it out the door, you know, kind of a yeah. thing. Um, and yet, okay, but also, as I recall, this was had been a laughing stock for kind of so long because the production had been delayed uh-huh. and because all these rumors. So everybody could sort of smell the stench of failure around this movie between reshoots and all the AJ Finn stuff. And um, also between the time that it was rescheduled and when it came out, Amy Adams had starred in Hillbilly Elegy. So like at yeah. this point, even like the Amy Adams thing is more detriment than 
you know, advantage now anyway, because Amy Adams starring in an adaptation of a bestseller that looks junky and has author problems. Like we feel like we've heard this song before. So well, and Dear Evan Hansen hadn't been seen yet, but, but the trailer did that she was cast in this role. Yeah. That's like, why is Amy Adams playing that part? Yeah. So like, it wasn't all on Amy Adams, but like, but it was all this sort of like this swirling sense of failure around the movie. So like, so the the movie had already gone from years ago buzzed for awards to um now this sort of like infamous movie that's going to be coming out on Netflix and then by the time people actually saw it enough people were sort of bouncing from the floor of the backlash cycle not even backlash cycle but like like negative hype hype cycle to yeah. you know this movie in all of its junkiness is actually kind of fun for being such a mess. And so it actually got a little bit of a, I remember this release as being less knives out, no pun intended. Um, I don't know why that would have been a pun, you know. Ne- garden claws out. Garden claws out, right. Um, for this movie, then you would have thought, because I think people had gotten the the negative stuff out of their system. And at this point, they were like, you know, this is a cuckoo cuckoo bananas movie and and maybe i'm enjoying it more than i should so not everybody thought that but i think enough people did to keep the keep the buzz i think it is unquestionably a disaster but only in like not a bureaucratic way but in like a paperwork way not like the movie as you watch it, it it's i think it's less of a disaster and more of just like cliche at every single turn and like what is what remains kind of special and interesting about it are these joe wright flourishes of like you know one of the first things you see in this movie is a dollhouse and it like then it's (laughs) panning over this giant uh not a brownstone but this house that she has like the set itself is going to be some type of dollhouse and you can you can see crumbs of visual ideas that clearly were watered down for the final version that remain very interesting. So you said uh, a while ago that there's one sort of unquestionably great performance in the middle of all of this madness. I'm now thinking you and I have different ones, but I don't think I disagree with yours either. So who's yours? Julianne Moore. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, Julianne She's Moore, incredible. <laughs> Julianne Moore playing sort of the fraternal twin sister of Rose the Hat, and then Rose went on her path and became violent and wore uh wore a top hat, and Julianne Moore was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna be like a wine, wine mom, yeah, yeah, wine lady, yeah, 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 wine lady." But I also do think that julia and maybe this is i've just been made december pilled but i do think julianne moore is giving a jennifer jason lee performance oh fascinating and making like jennifer jason lee choices i don't in a way that it made me wish that you know jennifer jason lee was giving a julianne moore performance uh-huh. to like blur to blur the lines line. even further yeah i just think she's so um exactly embodies what Amy Adams's character needed in that evening to like break her out of whatever she was in and that like she's forward but she's also um 
sort of like good humored about being so forward and she's asking all these like really personal questions and then it's just sort of like oh like you know aren't i nosy yada 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 and um and then talks about you know shows her son and the locket and whatever and like all this stuff that like when you get to the end of the movie it's like oh that makes sense that makes sense yeah um but it's a great all scene the while the being conceivable imaginary friend well everybody in this movie is conceivable to not exist like yeah. at some point in the movie you really do think oh this entire thing is happening in her in her mind and she's like dying in the snowbank and she has like imagined this like horror movie guilt trip for herself or whatever as she's dying or whatever because the cops seem like they're conceivably not real brian tyree henry's partner just absolutely seems like Amy Adams's guilty conscience made manifest, right? <laughs> like Gary Oldman doesn't seem real. Jennifer Jason Lee definitely doesn't seem real. Um, they all so like this is one of those movies because you know it's a rear window Hitchcocking thing. You are looking for the twist, and even though like Hitchcock was less about twists than like whatever. Um, this is a movie that trains you to look for a twist in it, right? To, to, to like right. figure out who's who's behind it all. That's why it makes you suspect Wyatt Russell so hard, which has how you know that it's not Wyatt Russell. Um, but it makes it so that you guess very early on. I think immediately, in my recollection, I think immediately, I was like, "Oh, the husband and daughter on the phone are not re- like they are dead." Right. Like like that. I think you guess long before the movie gets you there. Well, this this was my thing about the Anthony Mackie billing thing, because you only see him in the car wreck scene and you hear him on the phone. Uh, But if it's true that the reshoots were to make things less confusing, I wonder if he was in the house, all of these phone conversations, he was actually in the house. That would make sense to me. That would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Because I do think maybe that would have confused people. Yeah. But would also explain why he's billed so high. Yes. That he like stops by often to check on her and yeah. Well, they're they're uh, the phone conversations present them as like they're sharing custody while going through yeah, this separation. They're estranged. Yeah. So it, maybe we saw him picking her up for visits, etc. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean it in some way or another, like uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, my choice for best performance, and I, you may think I'm in, actually insane. I think Fred Heshinger is great in this movie. I, I mean, think Fred Heshinger is always good. The thing about him, by the end of this movie, all I'm thinking of is, he would have been the absolute best Scream villain of this latter Scream, you know, latter day Scream, right? Awful I know movies. you hate, I know you hate those. And I generally don't love them. Um, but In like, fairness, I haven't seen six because I refused because I hated the fifth one so much. Six isn't good. Um, and with respect to Jack really? Quaid, who is apparently can't believe that um, uh, high enough status to be announcing the Oscar nominations, which I didn't even think about at the time. I'm like, this is so weird that we've pivoted into like people that like your parents don't know who they are. Like, it's like even say what you will about old school old school Oscar nominations. Like, I. I they would have my mom would have been like oh it's Sigourney Weaver oh it's Salma Hayek you know what I mean and now it's like right. Jack Quaid and Zazie Beetz and it's just like oh okay um we're going for the younger generation I know they've been moving in that direction but anyway regardless Fred Heshinger 
gives a phenomenal performance as a scream villain in this movie. And um, so shocking that Fred Hetchinger is not a, a Oppenheimer bro. I mean, anytime you see a white man who wasn't an Oppenheimer, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. What happened there? What's going on? Um, yeah, I think he's wonderful in this. I think he's 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 good as the sort of like simple Ethan, you know what I mean? Like, but right, like right, once right. the turn happens, I'm like, this is a meal. This is delicious. I'm enjoying this. He's so <laughs> like awful, and I do and think that his so. scenes involve reshoots because he probably. looks older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but I think he's great in this. So, uh, but you're 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 right about Julianne Moore as well. So I like the two of them. Um, we'll get into the Amy thing in a little in a second. I want to um, do the AJ Finn thing for as much as I. Yes. And I did not get to do Talk as much research as I wanted to. The thing about AJ Finn, it's funny that like it comes down to that one expose profile, right? Well, um, yes, because the thing about the plagiarism accusations are, as I said, the plagiarism stuff is by far the least interesting. That stuff was, there was um, a, oh, it was, I can't remember the the title of the book now. I wonder if it's here. Um, Sarah A. Denzel uh, had a book called Saving April that was allegedly very similar. Now, it's interesting. They say, like, plot similarities it's like oh word like okay like there are plot similarities from women in the window to other things sound drop in sandra huller going but the story is not the same (laughs) i cannot explain to a non-writer how this is a different thing but it is a different thing um but so the real story is this new yorker profile that uh came out in let me find the date of it scroll up scroll up scroll up New Yorker better have a date right on here. It's a long-ass profile, by the way. I'm still scrolling. Uh, This was in February of 2019. And it essentially is like, so this guy, AJ Finn, uh, who wrote The Woman in the Window, it's a pseudonym. That's fine. His name is Dan Mallory. And here's what's interesting about Dan Mallory is he's been telling people for years that he had cancer. You don't look so sick, Dad. Thank you. What have you got? I got a pretty bad case of cancer. And that he uh, worked at a book publisher and he told all of his colleagues he had cancer. He had been, he got into Oxford with an admissions essay that talked about how his mom had cancer and he was like uh, nursing her through cancer, that his brother had died also while uh, he had like cystic fibrosis or something like that. And he was taking care of the brother. Um, Stephen Glass coded. Yeah, except like weirder shit where they were like, oh, while he worked at this book publisher, there were uh, cups of urine kept like showing up near his boss's office. And then after he left that company, it never happened again. And so they all assumed that he did that. Everybody who worked with him, the Stephen Glass thing was he snowed everybody who he worked with. Dan Mallory's thing is every person who this New Yorker (laughs) talked to, who he called up, there's this one... um, he recently called a senior editor at a New York publishing company to discuss the experience of working with Mallory. My God, the editor said with a laugh, I knew I'd get this call. I didn't know if it would be you or the FBI. That's one quote. <laughs> um, the other quote is, um, 
I was recently told about two former publishing colleagues of Mallory's who called him after he didn't show up for a meeting. Mallory said that he was at home taking care of someone's dog. The meeting continued as a conference call. Mallory now and then shouted, no, get down. After hanging up, the two colleagues looked at each other. There's no dog, right? No. So, like, clearly these people, like, had absolutely... He's He was the colleague that everybody sort of, like, side-eyed about, like, this guy is fucking weird. Um, There are things about... And also just, like, the way he... So, like, he talks about his mother, said she had died of cancer. His mother's alive. Said that his father had died long ago. His father's alive. Um, Described in the essay to Oxford um, that his mother rejected the idea of suffering without complaint. Mallory often read aloud to her passages in Little Women in which Beth dies with meek, tidy stoicism so that his mother could sneer at it, basically. Um, So it's just like, just like absolutely fabulous sort of stuff. Um, uh, He worked as an intern at New Line Cinema and then claimed that he um, like put a final polish on the Final Destination movie. That was denied. He said he worked on a Tina Fey book. They denied that. Like all this sort of stuff. So he's essentially this like self-made sociopath. And then that goes into so then you add that onto the idea that this book is so much cobbled together from, as I said earlier, Rear Window and the woman and the girl on the train specifically with other things. But like it's essentially what if the girl on the train with like heavily Hitchcockian rear window influences, right? So because the girl on the train, what is if also girl on a train, except she is not moving. The girl on the She's train on is space. already a rear window uh, like uh, illusion, right? Like that's that's so you're doing a copy of a copy of a copy, and um so and it just makes him seem like an absolute Looney Tunes, um so. That then gets laid into the buzz for the movie. He's also, by the way, like, um, gay or queer or whatever, or like, maybe that's also a lie, but it's also like textbook, like handsome, right? You know what I mean? Where it's literally just like, you could have just been handsome. You know what I mean? Like that gives you a lot of opportunities as well, buddy. You know what I mean? It's like, Jesus Christ. Now you have to like add all this other shit on top of it. Um, but anyway, that's the Dan Mallory of it all. Almost exactly my age. Almost. I remember it as, like, part of the age of the scammer. It felt mm-hmm. like one of the grand finale. I mean, Elizabeth Holmes was like Elizabeth the Holmes, Anna Delvey. It feels very Anna Delvey coded. Yeah. Yes, yes. The You know, one of the lead-ups to, like, the grand finale of the age of the scammer. And you know what? Nice work if you can get it, because in the literary world, if you were going, if a scammer was going to succeed, it would be in one of these airport novel type of mysteries that are all uh, indistinguishable from each other. Well, and it also sort of shows a little bit of, like, the brokenness of the publishing industry, because, like, as I said, the thing about Dan Mallory is, most of the people who inter- who interacted with him knew he was phony on some level. And even with that, so like when he's getting these book deals, everybody else in the industry is like, really? But like nothing is done about it. You know what I mean? It's just like at some point, somebody and of course it is- was a hit book. So. <laughs> right. Well, that, but you know, but that's, you know, also the thing. It's just like it, what it takes to get a book published versus like talent or authenticity are often very 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 different things from each other so <laughs> we don't really have a scammer oscar story i mean i think 
in well, some... is the closest alone yet not alone? <laughs> I was gonna say the closest is alone yet not alone. Um, I think some listeners would say maybe Francis Fisher is the closest, but like, <laughs> no, this is legit. This is legit. But alone yet not alone is kind of the scammer oscar story in a way because it's like it gets through because like the composer of the song was writing personal emails to people you know it could have been anything and it was this thing that doesn't exist and is like yeah so alone yet not alone because i feel like it's long enough ago that people might not remember it exactly but like it's this movie that nobody had ever heard of that all of a sudden on oscar nomination morning gets nominated for best original song and the original story was, oh my god, Best Original Song is such a weird category. They're nominating songs for movies we've never heard of, which, like, has continued to this day. Um, shout out to Flame and Hot. Um, but then, it was pretty immediately, right? It was in a week. It was, it was in the first week. It was where they were quickly like, rescinded, because this is also at the age where they were really cracking down on... I mean, it's a lot of this is all whisper stuff anyway, that like people still vote this way. But there are certain like strictures that you cannot do, that this nomination happened, that this guy who was... I forget if he was a former executive of the music branch or was a sitting executive of and the And he music was the nominee, branch. yeah. And he was a nominee, and he had sent like personal emails to known members of the branch saying, yeah. by the way, vote for my song this year. Right, right. And he got nominated that way. And again, sort of similar to the AJ Finn thing, is... That's so shady on its face. Like somebody who is part of the branch emailing other members of the branch and saying, vote for my song. People can't have thought that that was a good song. Well, or did they even listen to it? Did they even listen to it? Were, how many people, like, what was what low threshold must it have taken to get just this guy's, like, personal friends and cronies to nominate him? Because if I'm a person in the song branch and I'm, like don't know this guy very well maybe you're just like i'm not friends with him i'm not going to get off of that phone call and be like i'm gonna vote for that guy because he asked me to i'm gonna be like what a fucking creep like right you know what i mean so yeah i'm gonna instead go and vote for diane warren what was her Obviously. nomination that year the alone yet not alone year yeah was that 2013 Ooh. hold on uh best original song Yeah, that was for the year 2013, so that would have been... She was not nominated. That was Let It Go year. Oh. Pharrell was nominated for Happy. Uh, Karen O and Spike Jones for the song from her, Ladies and Gentlemen, her. Um, (laughs) And then the U2 song from Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. The song we all remember so well, Ordinary Love from Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. So Diane, uh, forget forget giving us the cut of her that has Samantha Morton playing Samantha. Give us the cut of her that has Adele playing Samantha. Was that the last year that Diane wasn't nominated? No, because she what what's her what's her run been? It's been like seven straight years, right? Okay, so it's this year. It was last year for Tell It Like a Woman. It was Four Good Days. Applause, four Good Days, the Reba song. Tell uh, somehow you do. Then before that, it was uh, Yossi, uh, the uh, the the 
song from the Sophia life Loren ahead movie. we all remember the sophia loren movie the life ahead so that's what one two three four then the year before that uh, uh breakthrough remember breakthrough the christian uh movie with that's the, girl the movie from... that made me say i'm not doing this again yeah <laughs> or no was... maybe it was well free guy is the one that made me not watch all nominees because i couldn't i could not watch free guy free guy wasn't good uh the year before that was rbg so that's six in a row the year before that was marshall stand up for something so that that was the one she did with common um so that's seven in a row Right, and so that it's seven in a row because she was not nominated in the La La Land year, the La La Land Moana um, troll year. That was a J. Ralph year. Sometimes J. Ralph and 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 Diane uh, overlapped, as they did in the year that Diane and Lady Gaga were nominated for the Hunting Ground, and J. Ralph was nominated for Manta Ray from Racing Extinction. Anyway. We need songwriters on songwriters. I want Diane Warren and J. And J. Ralph. Ralph. Yes, one yeah. million billion percent. Absolutely. But so, yeah, so she's okay. seven Bring- in a row and like nine of the last ten years. Diane Warren. We we salute. <laughs> we salute. All right. It's going to happen again next year. Let's talk about Amy. Let's talk about Amy Adams. All because right. I feel like Amy Adams is unfairly wrapped up in all of this. This is not a great moment in Amy Adams's career. She, Generally, no. She has her six Oscar nominations, most recently for Vice, and not any of us felt good about No, when was the last time she had a nomination we felt good about? It would have been... I think she's great in American Hustle. I do too, I but not everybody that. does. You and I are very both pro-Amy in that movie, but not everybody is. I think it's The Master. I think she's incredible in the master. I think that I don't even love the master and I think she's very good in the master, but, um, I mean, I think her Oscar should be the fighter. Me agree. We are agreement on that. Yeah. Weird agreement here. People also, I think are a little mean to her doubt nomination. I think people have gotten less mean over the years, but I agree with you. Vice did a lot to uh, put some respect on the Doubt nomination. Why Vice specifically? Because I think it wasn't, it's no longer, Doubt is no longer the one like, oh, she was nominated for that. (laughs) And, you know, Vice takes that heat now. I Um, think the majority of people would probably say they would have given her the Oscar for Junebug. That's such a great lineup, though. It's such a great lineup, and I don't know if I give it to her right away. Right away, you know what I mean? It's like it, I, think... I understand people that say that, but like I can't. I mean, that's probably I'm picking someone different on any day of the week, you know? Because yeah. it's such a good. I really love Rachel Weisz in, in uh, the mm-hmm. Constant Gardener, so I'm really glad she won that Oscar. I know people are just like, oh, this is, uh, you know. Oscar voting for their own, but I love Catherine Keener and Capote. Like, yeah, she's great. Capote doesn't get enough respect, and I, if I'm going to continue to feel this way about the Swans every episode, I hope oh. that we can get some more respect on the Capote. Film. I do want to watch Capote again after having started the Swans. I definitely am not negative on Tom Hollander like you are on the Swans. I am. I, I, I've only watched the premiere. I think it's a very skin deep Truman Capote. Keep and it's watching. just a, an affectation of the voice. Keep Whereas, watching. Like, I would say. Uh, okay. I've okay. only seen I, the first I, two, but you know. I'm I'm willing I'm willing to change my mind or have my mind changed 
but so far not feeling Tom Hollander as Truman Capote. What do um, you like about the swans? Well, the swans. All of them? Like what where who are who's who's most impressive to you among the swans? After I mean, episode one, I said Diane Lane. After episode two, I said Chloe Sevigny. So was it you that I was talking to, and you don't think Chloe Sevigny fits into this milieu well? No. I I like her so far. I think we've had the least of her. I'm very very excited for where we're going to be going with Diane Lane because I think Diane Lane, even though she doesn't come on strong until maybe the end of that premiere, yeah, but she comes on I, real strong at the end though. It's setting the stage for some great stuff from Diane Lane in a way that I'm very excited And then Callista for. shows up in episode two in the most enigmatic way where it's like, you know we're going to be getting more from Callista, and I'm very excited about that, so. I'm going to keep watching. I just, yeah. I, for me, if I still don't like what Tom Hollander is doing, it's going to be a barrier to end. I, I think it's going to be a detriment to... You know how people can you know how people can go and like get uh hypnotherapy to get themselves to quit smoking? <laughs> I want to take you to hypnotherapy and to get you to forget that Ryan Murphy has anything to do with this series because he's I not wasn't writing really it. I was really even thinking about And that. he's not directing it. He's only producing it. So like I know you have a thing about Ryan Murphy. So like But I wasn't thinking about that when I was watching Okay. the premiere. All right. I don't think I don't think even the Ryan Murphyness of the show if it's there, is a detriment for the show. No, I think it's a. I think if but anything, I, but I like, also I want him telling these type of stories, not you know, whatever the hell was going on in those clips from American Horror Story that I saw. Which one? Oh, this recent one, the Kim Kardashian one, where yeah. it's just like go to. Although that ser- that season also is like the least Ryan Murphy finger. Like it's it's fully. Uh, what's her name from the Squid and the Whale is like writing that whole season. So, um, oh, but it was su- the oh yeah, no, you're not the wrong. crunch crunch of that very satire was just like very very crunch crunch. Please yeah. have oxygen, yeah, somewhere. I don't exactly. know. Um, All right, anyway, yeah, back to Amy Adams, Amy Adams. though. Uh, well, we've had so little opportunity to talk about the whole career, but I mean, I do think that the career is encompassed in those oscar nominations yes um, she's one of she's one of i don't know if it's it te- a rare it tells the whole story kind of and that's that is kind of rare for an actor meryl's another one where like the oscar nominations do sort of tell you the story and it's easier when you get a lot of nominations so that it can tell a more sort of but it's there's a lot of people whose careers are very much not their oscar nominations right where their the oscar nominations are kind of exceptions to what they're actually doing i'm trying to think of a specific example there, i mean now. there's two obvious gaps there in like the two major snubs of her career and that's enchanted and arrival not being there and arrival i just think because she her performance was never really the narrative in that year that sunk through it very much i think kind of quickly became the narrative being uh, Emma Stone versus Isabella Pair, you know, right. those two kind of But even with the snub for Arrival, sorry I'm saying snub. Um Arrival was still a best picture best director nominee. So it's not like I think you still had such good Arrival representation at the Oscars that it feels like less of a complete like like you it's really easy to see 
her finishing a very close sixth. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she probably was a very close sixth. Enchanted was nominated in songs, but Enchanted, you get the feeling that like, oh, they were not ready to recognize a performance doing the things that she's doing in that movie because they don't always respect light lightness as a the um, movie itself wasn't respected on the level of like a mary poppins would have been in its day right and that's probably why but i do think that that role is an you know an interesting wrinkle of who she is as a performer and like who she is in the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. uh that isn't reflected in her oscar nominations i think that's true um She's quite good in Enchanted. Is like she's just like that's not easy. You know what I mean? It really, really isn't. And I think it's something that like remember how Anne Hathaway was just like not respected for a lot of her early stuff with like Princess Diaries and and you know Ella Enchanted and even mm-hmm. what she's doing in like her part of uh, Devil Wears Prada. And that seems to me the same sort of general umbrella that. Amy's enchanted performance was mm-hmm. working in. You know what I mean? So whereas I feel like her arrival performance is like the biggest showcase of the type of nuance that she's doing in more uh idiosyncratic roles like the master, like her, where she's doing these great things, these in- incredibly internal type of nuanced character arcs that you know, I mean, we can talk about ad nauseum, like, are not typically appreciated on the large-scale establishment of, like, the Academy. Uh, and so, in that regard, it's almost not a surprise that the Academy didn't recognize her performance in Arrival, because it's so, right. you know, written on her face, and the character journey is an internal one that, I think because of her gifts as an actor, we fully understand and we are fully invested in. Yeah. But... It's not, I mean, Arrival, it's huge in terms of, like, the survival of the species, but in terms of the (laughs) internal journey, yes, it's a small thing that's nevertheless incredibly moving and, uh, you know, incredibly layered throughout, but... Yeah. All right, Chris, time for another update to the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. We are heading into the final month of the season and we still have a seven-way tie at the top of the leaderboard so we are waiting for a seven-way tie of no oppenheimer movies so we are seriously just sort of waiting for oppenheimer to amass enough points to really sort of get into the mix at the top of the standings another week of enjoying my front runner status among podcasters in the draft Katie Rich uh, creeps ever closer to you because she's got Oppenheimer, and Oppenheimer just picked up 30 points for winning the Director's Guild Award for Best Director. Did you watch any of Nolan's speech? I thought it was very good. No, I watched Greta Gerwig's speech. Well, Greta Gerwig's speech. As someone who drafted Barbie, I should be getting points for that speech. <laughs> what a great speech. If you hadn't lis- haven't listened to it, go seek it out. She sort of goes around the room and takes a moment with each of her fellow nominees um in best director to talk about a film of theirs that meant something that meant a lot to her and she makes first of all she makes really good choices like she talks about killing of a sacred deer with yorgos and she talks about ghost choice i was like i'm gonna love greta forever yeah like she's just 
She talks about uh-huh. Memento with Nolan. She talks about Citizen Ruth with Alexander Payne. Uh, and then Scorsese, she's just like, you're, she, you know, it's, it's a filmography. Um, but it's really lovely and she's just wonderful and I really love her. Um, the other two movies that took home prizes film wise at the DGA, 30 points apiece. Uh, 20 Days in Mariupol for documentary, which sort of takes the pole position now, I would think, if it didn't already have it, in the documentary race for the Oscars, even though what what ones are not were not present, the Oscar nominees that weren't DGA nominated were Frigg. Um, now I'm going to have to look this Maybe up. Maybe Bobby Wine? No, Bobby Wine was a DGA nominee. Isn't that interesting? Um, Got it. It's the 96th Academy Awards, right? For whatever reason, typing that in is a lot easier to get to where you want to go in Wikipedia than documentary feature. It's Four Daughters, Eternal Memory, and then To Kill a Tiger. I, of course, and we talked about we don't have to talk about it again. We talked about it in our Superlatives episode, how much I love um, Four Daughters. But I don't know. Do you, th- do you think any of those three movies that weren't in DGA will be able to make a push at the Oscars to win documentary. It does seem like Four Daughters is getting a decent amount of conversation. Yeah. And uh, for uh, that definitely matters for a documentary race that feels uh, quieter than do you, usual. Do you think a, a documentary with that much reenactment will, have, will face pushback? I don't know if that's a thing among documentarians. Reenactment isn't even the right word for what that movie is doing. That right. movie is doing a thing. By the way, listeners, uh, apparently Four Daughters is now on Canopy with your library card. Uh-huh. You can watch Four Daughters, and you should. Um, I do wonder, I think the sleeper in this category actually might be The Eternal Memory, which is from a documentarian who was previously nominated for The Mole Agent, which was dealing with similar themes, and I think The Mole Agent was a sleeper in that category, even mm-hmm. though it didn't win. Um, but it was a movie you saw a lot of people talking about. But I do still think this is probably 20 Days in Mariupol winning. 20 Days in Mariupol is available to watch where? Is it VOD? It's rentable. It's rentable, it's rentable. yeah. Uh, I have not watched it yet. I only have six movies left to to watch before um, uh, this whole completest race is done plus the shorts but six features um i I think i'm gonna do it i think i'm gonna suck it up yeah you are and i'm gonna watch yeah watch indiana jones Jones. you know i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it get a snack get a nice little snack and you'll be fine it's that it's possible for me to do it because robot dreams is like the great unavailable one especially because neon is not putting it in general yeah may and we have the advantage of getting the screener from neon so i would just feel like a jerk being this close and not yeah uh the other feature film to win at uh dga was celine song won a dga for best first time feature film for past lives beating out cord jefferson for american fiction manuela martelli for chile 76 Nura Nayasari, apologies, for uh, Shada, the Australian film, and A.V. Rockwell for 1001. I know you've been sort of banging the drum about uh, uh, get different movies honored for best first-time feature this year. Get a year. range of movies nominated get a range over of the movies. course of a season for yeah. debut. 
Um, but admittedly, you are sort of cooler on past lives also, just sort of in general. True. That's true. But I do think what's interesting, I think a lot of people playing this game might see this as past lives last chance to get points. But I actually mm-hmm. don't think that's true. I think that win is happening at a very crucial time for an original screenplay race that I think is relatively in flux. And I think this really increases Celine Song's chances of winning well, plus, if you are a past lives drafter, get ready for the Independent Spirit Awards, because I think that is your well, big I sort that. of... that's true. Yeah, but you're not wrong about original screenplay. I still think that, um, I still, I don't know why I still think the holdovers, but, um, you're right that it is a pretty, uh, wide open race, so. It's that, it's the holdovers, and it's Anatomy of a Fall. I yeah. would still put money on Anatomy of a Fall. But this win definitely makes it a field of three potential winners. I think think that's right. I think that's right. Um, So uh, box office has sort of petered out to the fact to the place where it doesn't really um, matter as much anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't know, play the play the in memoriam music for box office 2020 2023 and i don't think there's any movies that are going to be getting the bonus points for hitting certain thresholds anymore at this point right i talked a little bit about in the newsletter about how i want to maybe for next season put more box office threshold markers in there just because um if a movie hits 150 or 200 million like that's rare enough that you should probably get get points for uh, picking up a movie like that. So, uh, Chris, the next two weeks ahead of us are the BAFTAs and the SAG Awards. We'll talk about the BAFTAs. Actually, we won't next weekend because the BAFTAs won't have happened by the time we're, uh, we're recording. So, um, but I think the the so the big ones to come: BAFTA, SAG, Independent Spirit Awards, the PGA, and then um, the the Academy Awards on March tenth. Um, I wanted to sort of preview the SAG ensemble race a little bit while we have a little bit of time here, um, because that's the one. Tough call. I have no idea where this is going to go. So the nominees are American Fiction, Barbie, The Color Purple, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. And before you go ruling out The Color Purple, which I'm sort of tempted to do, SAG has like SAG Ensemble can sometimes curveball, and so you can't really rule it out entirely, although I definitely think it's, like, the fifth most likely. You do have to also consider that SAG has been a more mainstream-leaning guild, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and I would argue... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's only been a few years that AFTRA has voted on these awards, and AFTRA does include, insert grown noises here, uh, TikTokers... Is the color purple big with TikTok? I have no idea. But oh, okay. Like, okay. You know, you're talking about more mainstream space. Sure, sure. So that does throw uh, a some wrinkle in predicting this right. award show. I, I think it's interesting that, that you know, while that is true, that just sort of, like, reinforces the fact that, like, oh, it's going to be Barbie or Oppenheimer, one of the two. This Here's what I would say to that logic, though. It's... It, it, I think it's it's so like a, those two against each other in a way that I think something in third place with this particular prize that has surprised before mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. could you know if there's a vote split situation this is where I could see something else winning. 
I think in all three of, uh, I think it, if we're both sort of looking at the same three front runners, which are Barbie Oppenheimer and then Killers of the Flower Moon, which I think is the one that could do that third place sneakity do. Um, I wouldn't rule out American Fiction's chances as a vote splitter. That's not a bad idea. Um, well, even in that, hmm, who in that? I'm I'm looking more towards like which movies left out a lot of people from their nominated ensemble. Oppenheimer is maybe the most egregious offender numbers wise because like because that cast is so huge and there's only like ten people nominated. Um, and it's just interesting to see like Rami Malek who gets like two lines, but like not Alden Ehrenreich who's like a weird shadow protagonist in that last 10 minutes. Right. Um, but killers of the flower moon is the more probably yes. Problematic non numerically egregious one, because yes. you can't tell me that there isn't a dozen performers in that movie. And many of them native performers that uh-huh. are more impactful to that movie than Brendan fleet. Uh, I, yeah. Uh huh. Nothing against John Lithgow, who is fine and everything against Brendan Fraser, who is a nightmare in that movie. Um, but yes, that's exactly that's exactly right. That it's just like, and I understand. Here's, the th- I think when when the when the news sort of leaked out several years ago that when when it became sort of known by enough people that the SAG ensemble is determined by who gets a solo title card credit, um, it sort of unleashed a monster in a little way because now everybody knows that, and so you sort of point to these, you know, cast nominations. They're like, look, it's it's just who gets a solo title card. And yet it's like, yeah, but that's determined by things like agents and contracts and, you know, who's got the most pull. And so I wonder if there will come a point where, and maybe this is like, because it's SAG, maybe this is like contractual in their like, agreement and there's nothing to be done but like i would love for the sag nominating committee to have some uh free reign there to adjust these and to sort of make their own determinations because like you can't ask the films to do it because the films are just going to nominate everybody because they're not who you know who are they going to want to kick out of their own cast do you know what i mean um but i think you you select a committee Maybe it's apart from the nominating committee. Maybe you come up with your nominees and then you hand them to another committee and you say, look, take this seriously, pour through these movies and say, you can only do a certain, maybe you can only do a certain percentage of the cast. Although I don't know, that doesn't, because what if it's a four beforehander and you just want to nominate all four? So maybe put as few restrictions as possible on them and just say, come up with a list of nominees that makes sense without like nominating the whole cast. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just a bummer. But anyway, as to who wins this worth this mm-hmm. prize. So a win for best ensemble will get you 50 points. And then a win in any of the four major acting categories will get you 35. And then a win in any other category, including stunts, uh, uh, gets you 10 points. So ensemble will get you. Uh, that's a that's a good hefty chunk of change with fifty. So if something like Barbie or Killers of the Flower Moon wins, that kind of helps everybody in the standings who's trying to hold off the floodgates, the Oppenheimer floodgates, for as long as possible. <laughs> so you're rooting. You're definitely rooting for anything but Oppenheimer if you don't have Oppenheimer on your roster. I, regardless of who's actually nominated, I have a feeling that like when 
voters are casting ballots, are casting votes rather, they're not thinking of that. They're thinking of Oppenheimer's got 8 billion cast members and I love, I like them all and I'm just going to cast my vote for that. Or same thing with Barbie. Barbie's got a million cast members and I like them all and I'm going to cast my vote for that. I do think it's probably going to be one of the two. I think in the wake of the Oscar conversation, I have a feeling that like Barbie voters are maybe going to be less inclined to be like, I loved Barbie, but like you got to hand it to the cast of Killers of the Flower Moon. You know what I mean? I think um, I think there will be a more sort of fervent Barbie contingency. Plus, it's the number one movie of the year. It's the one that more people saw. You know what I mean? Yeah. And ultimately, I do think if I'm going to make a bet on anything, I will bet on Barbie, particularly because it's not going to win any of the other four acting prizes, whereas Oppenheimer is at least probably going to win supporting actor. So, yeah. and Killers of the Flower Moon very is is you know decidly likely that lily Glad- this will, this will, this will be the interesting one though lily gladstone emma stone has become a little bit of not a little bit like a, a real lot race of people are uh, just like they did last year with kate blanchett are saying it's emma stone at this moment at this particular moment and i'm just saying <laughs> it is the same exact behavior. it is but saw everybody jumping ship and saying, well, no, Kate Blanchett is going to win. And with a lot of the same logic, like, well, that's the most likely place that this movie can win. It did show up in a lot of yes. places that seemed on the bubble for it. I think there are a couple key differences here. One of which is Michelle Yeoh was uh, the lead actress of the big best picture frontrunner that was poised to, you know, win a bunch of awards. That's the other was there was a huge component of what a great career she's had, and this is our first chance to really honor her, where I think there's a way for a voter to say, to look at Lily Gladstone and be like, what a great performance. She's got a lot of them ahead of her. And I would caution those people that, like, look at the way this industry works. You know, we cannot take for granted opportunities for, you know, Native performers like Lily Gladstone, even though, God, I hope the industry is going to fight like hell to, you know, give her as many opportunities as possible. Um, let's not maybe take for granted that Lily Gladstone, you know, will automatically be back here again. Do you know what I mean? If if there, I mean, like, I think it's safe to say nothing is stopping David, I enjoy Randolph from winning every other prize that uh, stands for the rest of the season that she can win. Yeah. If there wasn't that breakthrough you know, yeah. type of thing. I mean, not breakthrough because we've seen both of those performers before, but like a welcoming into the club of one performer because it mm-hmm. usually feels like there's room for one of those people every year. I yeah. put more stock um, in it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's still someone who's never been invited to this table before up against someone who's already won right. and has in all likelihood in all rationality we'll have many chances to win another yeah in the future yeah do you think that race could get close enough that at the oscars at least because sandra huller's not nominated at the sags do you think there's a chance that that race gets close enough that sandra huller could adrian brody that category people keep saying this and i don't see it yeah i don't see that yeah 
Um, I'm just curious. I don't know. Be it for I I don't know if I have a very good handle on best actress right now. I did want to ask you one more question because you did bring up Divine Joy Randolph, Divine Joy Randolph at the that nothing is going to stop her. Certainly not from winning the Oscar. I don't think so either. But like the SAG Awards can get goofy, and I'm just going <laughs> to ask you if on the they off can get goofy when they're forced to get goofy. Like just here's follow this thought experiment. If I'm going to tell you that there's a shocking upset and Dave and Joy Randolph does not win supporting actress, who is the most likely to do it? People say Emily Blunt, but I think it's Jodie Foster. I was exactly, I agree with you exactly yeah. right. Yep. If Emily Blunt didn't already have a SAG for- She's already won a weirdo SAG. Yes. She's already but... won one weirdo SAG for A Quiet Place. I agree. Yeah. Um. No, I think if there's anybody who you're going to be like, really? Um, it would be Jodie Foster in Nyad, and I kind of hope that doesn't happen because Jodie Foster is having a really good moment right now, and I think that would backlash uh, severely, at least on. Well, I mean, everybody seems to hate her True Detective season, which is obviously not her. Fault. I'm just finding out about this in this past week. I'm loving this season of True Detective. Maybe I'm oh, just really? like a dumb bitch, but like I'm really enjoying this season, and I think she's phenomenal in it. So, like, I don't know what I genuinely don't know what people's problem is because I think it's great. So. Um, the only real like shift that I could see happening after SAG is actually in the lead actor category yeah. because Are you back to Giamatti, doubting Giamatti again? Have you backslid? If Giamatti wins, that holds the line because you can also imagine Killian Murphy is winning BAFTA, so it's like it's right. still a two horse race up until the Oscars that I think in that circumstance Giamatti would win. Yeah. If Killian Murphy wins SAG it's over. Like, that's what I would say. So you have backslid into doubting Paul Giamatti. Okay, this is very interesting. Um, I, I'm, I don't think it's necessarily the likely outcome that Killian Murphy wins SAG. I'm just saying if this is what happens, this is what it is. And that okay. Killian Murphy has probably been the guy all season long. It's just taken most of the season to reveal to it. To reveal if it. If he wins SAG. But okay. I think it's more likely that Giamatti wins all right. Well, this is very interesting. Okay, so but that's the only thing that I could really see shifting. Sure, 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 the sure. Oscar race. Sure. Um, because even if Emma Stone wins SAG, and then obviously BAFTA, because Lily Gladstone is not nominated, which is crazy. Right. Uh, I could still see Lily Gladstone winning the Oscar. I agree with that. Um, well, should be interesting. So, um, anyway, so uh, Vulture Movie Fantasy League players. Keep on trucking with these last few weeks, and if you've got Oppenheimer on your roster, there is still a really good chance that you can move up, 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 up that uh, that leaderboard. Right now, we are still with a uh, a, an oppressive seven-way tie that does not seem to be... Well, certainly, that tie's not going to get broken up because they all have the same roster, but they have been in power for a very long time, and... I it's one of the maybe I'm the stubborn one who looks at that and is just like that won't last. It's not going to last throughout the rest of the season. And yet, like <laughs> they they remain, and yet they remain. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And otherwise, uh, get ready because we are in the home stretch, and here we go. I, this is the the thing about Amy Adams is I think she was thrust into lead leading lady type of roles because of her stature and her level of Oscar nominations that have yeah. followed her. Yeah. But I think she's much more interested in doing roles like her 
and roles like the master and I guess arrival. Yeah. And that's why it's not maybe so odd that she would choose a role like Dear Evan Hansen, where sure. she's not the lead, but she has she plays this character that has their own confined emotional arc in this story that not, is important to the big picture of it yeah but she doesn't have the spotlight not to bring up the hollywood reporter roundtables as text but like i think you see that in a lot of her Mm-mm. uh narrative throughout those hollywood reporter roundtables and like it really has been a journey to attain self-confidence and i don't i don't find it phony on her i genuinely feel like there is a sincerity to her journey towards believe but she's it's a weird dichotomy right where she's been so she's reticent for the spotlight she's been so dogged to have this career she's worked so hard to have this career and it finally came to her a little bit later than she expected it to but she got it and yet you're right it's the it's the spotlight i think there's an imposter syndrome aspect to amy that comes through the whole thing where like she didn't feel like she had a stature enough to like maintain a re- personal relationship with Mike Nichols, and that's a thing that she regrets. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably plays into a lot of this. I think a lot of that also contributes to like that this like few year bubble along with Hillbilly Elegy, along with the Superman movies that she's in, that she's in in like this period leading up to this. That everybody, I feel like, kind of dogpiled on her uh, in, like, kind of presenting it as a fallow period for her. It was the first time that people had turned on this idea sort of in great numbers. There's always outliers, right? First time that, like, a majority of people who with opinions on Amy Adams had negative opinions on her taking movies quote just to get an oscar right i think the one-two punch of vice followed by hillbilly elegy which are two movies that were seen as cynical i think a lot of people viewed vice as even though it's adam mckay who like is stridently left-wing as a weird sort of like um not necessarily an apology for for dick cheney but a weird like let's try and understand this figure and a lot of people at are best why. a what are we doing here what is this for followed so. by hillbilly elegy which a lot of people did n- seem to know who it was for and it was not for mm-hmm. anything um particularly good i think hillbilly elegy was very much a movie you know that was seen as an attempt to normalize humanize specifically the trump voter demographic and of course yeah. that's all you know jd vance uh, uh wrapped up in that in his political career inextricable from that and so there was a real sense of ill will following vice and hillbilly elegy to the idea of amy adams being like chasing oscar with these shitty projects you know what i mean and and we have no idea what she's getting offered we have no on top idea. of like she's said many times that you know her focus is on being a parent and you know Mm -hmm. so she's taking these high profile roles that maybe allow her to provide for her family a little bit more like that should also be somewhat understood and not and certainly that's the the looked askance at like there's some ill intent but like i think that's a reason why people mostly don't really hold the lois lane stuff against her because it's just like yeah go play lois lane who cares you know what i mean it's just like but also people are like why is she in these bad movies and i think like it's 
for someone like her, I see a little bit less of like why is she in a DC movie? Well, because she's playing Lois Lane. Right. Like Lois Lane is an iconic character would have probably yeah. more appeal to Amy Adams than yes. being in a superhero movie, period. Right. Yeah, I don't necess- I don't really hold that against her at all. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like Yes, for somebody at your stature, for the amount of money that they probably paid you for this role to play Lois Lane in the new Superman movies, like I would take that too if I were in that career position. You know what I mean? Uh, my the like be in my bonnet about this whole period and how people I think were disingenuously viewing her and discussing her as a performer is her Sharp Objects performance, which I think is truly some of her best work. And so overlooked. So incredibly overlooked. I mean, she won like Critics' Choice, but Critics' Choice TV prizes are not They're real. not real. They're they're, they're the least real. they're they're less real than Golden Globes TV prizes, guys. Like genuinely. Truly, truly. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of the reason why she was so overlooked for that was it was the TV seasons are so strange. And it was like the first thing of that TV season. So summer TV was, is always so easily to def- easily forgotten. That's the thing. It was so early in that season. It ended up getting who did Patricia Clarkson? She lost a fucking Patricia Arquette, right? For the fucking Gypsy Rose Blanchard movie I think or show. So, so stupid. Um, Patricia Clarkson. Patty so, won the Globe, though, right? Because it was before that show, I think. Yeah, had come out maybe or something. I don't know. Um, but Amy loses to you know what? I'm just going to bring up those Emmys. I'm going to give me a second. Um, because that was yeah. I remember watching. Now, of course, Sharp Objects was the um the Gillian sorry Gillian Flynn follow up to. Gone Girl. We're going to forget that Charlie's Theron movie, right? We've all decided <laughs> to do that. The the, the <coughs> filmed adaptations are right. in a different order than the right. books were published. Sharp right. Objects was published before Gone Girl. Chris, I don't I don't recognize publishing order. I only recognize <laughs> uh, filming order. It know, is wild that Gillian Flynn has not published a book since Gone Girl, though. It is wild. That is true. What's going on there? She's but she's, she's been doing screen li- screenwriting stuff, right? So yeah. Gone Girl also casting a large shadow because like Gone Girl uh a, a long shadow over things like Woman in the Window because Gone Girl is like the good example, and I think there's always an optimism that like, well, what if it's Gone Girl level? Sure, right. Oh no, 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 no. Amy Adams loses to Michelle Williams for Fosse Verdon. Oh, see, but that's the danger in releasing this like great thing so early in the Emmys year is something right. is going to come along maybe. And yeah, yeah, you can't really. And we, we wrote about the, the Michelle Williams speech in our uh, vulture list and what a great speech it was. Um, but yes, uh, Patricia Clarkson definitely lost though to um, Patty Arquette for the act to Patty Arquette for the act. I never watched the act, but I sort of, I was just listening to we before we started recording this. I was just listening to Stradio Lab with our friend George Severus uh, talking about um, um, Gypsy Rose Blanchard and his belief that we were maybe treading on dangerous ground with making her uh, a cultural icon. Not necessarily dangerous. Maybe that's my more opinion. Is just like it really bugs me that there was that like two week period where everybody was like yassing like crazy for Gypsy Rose Blanchard, and I'm like. 
I get that it feels bold and like sort of sassy that we're like standing this like girl who killed her mother, but like I don't know, guys, we don't have to like. And it was the same, and this is what George's point was too. It was just like George Santos and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Maybe we need to like take a step back a second. And it's like, do we have to like stand the absolute like worst elements of culture just because we expect that like John Waters would get a kick out of this? Sometimes you know? I don't think. I think it it become. I mean, when people say they stand George Santos, like I think it's. I think there is a lot of joking and like we're. We love the we love the ethos around a George this Stan, uh, uh, George Santos, but we hate the actual person. And I feel like if we have to if we have to separate hairs so much, maybe we should just not do this. Here's my you feeling: know, is like, some people are not coming to that game with the proper equipment. Some people are not coming to that fight with the proper. Correct artillery where i think you have to be and again i'm basically plagiarizing this is appropriate for the aj finn episode here i'm plagiarizing (laughs) george i'm plagiarizing george a little bit this is my attempt to lure george back onto our podcast is just stealing his points um is this idea that like not everybody is culturally intelligent enough to do something as sort of high wire as I'm going to ironically stand George Santos and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. And some people are just being like un un uh uncurious and un uh like they're not interrogating what this is. They're just sort of just like, oh my god, we love her, she killed her mom. Oh my god, we love him, he's so extra. Uh. And it's just like, well, no, like you really do have to be like almost like John Waters level for me to allow you to appreciate that and like allow you like without me being like oh my god you're so fucking stupid you know what i mean it's like so you're saying we really should aj finn these people a little bit yes yes i think yes i think it's very well no i'm not gonna make that sweeping statement it's very easy for gay men to stand a weird looking little girl who kills her mom i mean i'm just saying (laughs) <laughs> interrogate that investigate that think about that in your life all right um how did we get here the act Patricia clarkson sharp we objects. were talking about right. sharp objects yep. and amy adams i think i think people were unfair critics audiences alike to amy adams in this period she's incredible in sharp objects mm-hmm. which like i think was a strong enough performance to on its own feet, just completely dispel all of these things people were saying uh, about her and her creative force at that time. But we also have optimism on the future. This is going to be the year of Night Bitch. This is this is our first episode. You have in 2024 so much yeah. where we're talking about this, where we can talk about the season ahead. And I know I just exciting. I don't. I don't want to overhype something for myself, but you're already there with Night Bitch. You are very, very you're there. With everybody, Night Bitch. everybody needs to realize that we are getting the Amy Adams Mariel Heller collaboration this year, and those are two people that everyone wanted to see work together. And can I read you coming. the IMDb plot nutshell of Night Bitch? 
the R-rated horror comedy from Marielle Heller, starring Amy Adams and Scoot McNary. We should just let it be whatever it is. We don't need to call it things like a horror comedy. I'm looking at IMDb. I'm just saying. Horror, R-rated horror comedy. I'm reading, I'm reading the boilerplate here. I'm giving you what, uh, what you want. All right. An artist who pauses her career to be a stay-at-home mom seeks a new chapter in her life and encounters just that when her nightly routine takes a surreal turn and her maternal instincts begin to manifest in canine form. So, American werewolf in the feminine mystique? Like, what's happening here? What's going on? Um, American werewolf in the Upper West Side? Something like that. Um... In Flatbush, I don't know, in uh, in uh, Bed-Stuy, something. This is going to be a Fox Searchlight slash Hulu uh, It is apparently not Hulu anymore. Oh, is it going theatrical? Uh, that's everything that I've read. Good. Good, good, good. I want to see this in a theater. Um, Remember, All of Us Strangers was supposed to originally be Hulu. I did not know that. Yes. All right. Well, very good. I think the trend is away from that. I think they have finally at least seen enough of the light, most of the studios. Anyway. They also are putting no effort towards Hulu's. Am I being... Only Murders in the Building is keeping the lights on over there. Am I being 2000 and late with the idea that I think Night Bitch is not uh, in the taste level of Oscar voters? I Just mean, conceptually for and me title wise, and my excitement level. I don't need it to be. Well, I think enthusiasm for Amy Adams, and I'm not certainly not just talking about you. Enthusiasm for Amy Adams these days takes a double edged form, and one of which is sure. we're excited for a new Amy Adams performance, and the other side is is this going to be the one? So, um, right. and that's where I want to sort of temper. It's a lot of pressure to put a, put on that movie, yeah. And like, I think we're also wondering is this going to be the one for Marielle Heller? It's not. Um, I love Marielle Heller, but it's not. I, I, I don't know. Uh, and, and like, I don't want to overhype the movie in those terms, other than to say, I, on my own terms, am as excited for this movie as I am for anything else this year. And I also, I say, you know, I, I, I'm flippant about it, and I'm quick to say that it's not going to be in Oscars taste. And yet, it does seem like more and more that the Oscars are going for things that you wouldn't think would be in their taste. They, they, well... You know, Especially because it's a it's a searchlight fall movie. I mean, so is poor mm-hmm. things, and like, yeah, look at how well that movie. I'm doing, that's so. exactly exactly exactly. Um, she's they going, know what they're doing over there. Yeah, she's also got a bunch of other things in the pipeline. She's got a TV miniseries with Adam McKay, which uh, is that Walmart thing, Kings of America. Um, uh, that I think fell apart. Well, then IMDb's got to get their shit together, don't they? Because Adam McKay. She had some project that she was going to be doing for Adam McKay that fell apart that I forget what it is. It was well, some serial killer type of thing. All right, then you're just going to be my corrections department here as I read through these things and you tell me. You are definitely more I should read more deadline, I guess. I should follow more deadline. Um she's in a <laughs> one of my worst qualities is reading deadline. Yeah, except you know way more shit than I do about what's going on. So like, uh, jokes on me. But Deadline is also awful. <laughs> yeah, but Deadline it, is part of the problem. Like, yes, but again, you get the information, and sometimes that's all you need. Anyway, is this Taika Waititi 
Kazuo Ishiguro movie still happening with her and so Jenna this Ortega? Got, this, this is getting announced because the Berlin market is happening. It seems like the type of thing that could happen or could not. You yeah. know, just one of those projects that gets announced that never actually happens. Yeah. Uh, I hope it doesn't because, I mean... Yeah, it was kind. Of, Clara and the Sun was kind of a Ishiguro greatest hits book to me. Yeah, I I understand why some people love it. I thought it was fine. Yeah, Taika Waititi does not need to be making that material mm-hmm. whatsoever. And seeing Amy Adams work with uh, potentially with Taika Waititi sounds yeah like a bummer. So the only other one that's on her IMDb upcoming is this Jonathan Dayton Valerie Ferris comedy from the. Uh, script from Rashida Jones and Will McCormick, which is an interesting quadrangle of uh, people in terms of, like, I think their vibes kind of vibe together with her and Paul Rudd um, called The Invite. Yeah, I have not heard anything. anything. This sounds like a project I would like. It's like, it sounds like a couple swap type of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, their neighbors are are hosting orgies. And I feel like I heard about this a while ago. Yeah. Which sounds like. Feels like everything that's on IMDb is like delayed information. So. Right. Or just things like, you know, we never hear when projects just don't happen. So. I would hear more if I read more. But I mean, Amy Adams in a Dayton Ferris joint sounds like a good idea. Yes. All right. Um, Anywho, we are now at the point where I'm going to bring up Jennifer Jason Leigh. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about her performance in the movie. It's, It's very strange. It's very intentionally stilted. Yes. She's supposed to be enigmatic. She's supposed to be, is she, we're supposed to imagine, we're supposed to suspect that she's an actress who's being paid to impersonate Julianne Moore, right? That's sort of how, what we're sort of led to believe, that she's an actress or somebody who is being in some way coerced to uh, portray. Truly the only, truly the only reason why a name performer should be in this role is because of that reveal of when she says i am jane russell yeah and you're supposed to be like oh this other famous person but then is a complete non-factor in the rest of the movie yeah and like you hate to see it for jennifer jason lee but i mean cash the check i guess um she's coming off of her oscar nomination a few years before this with um especially as we're when this movie was supposed to come out in 2019 she would have only been uh, four years removed from the hateful eight um but it's not like she like career bumped from that right where she's you know where did she go right from hateful eight it was hold on annihilation well annihilation's great but that's only 2018 so like 2015 is the hateful eight and then she like she's the stuff that's already in the can right she's in that movie morgan the um Anya Taylor Which I Joy think was long delayed. Right. Um she's in she's playing Lady Bird Johnson in the Rob Reiner uh oh LBJ movie opposite Woody Harrelson which one also imagines would have been taken care of. She's in Good Time. See this is why because she's in Good Time and I don't Equally recognize Equally thankless Good Time. role. Um who was she even in? She's she's his sex partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having sex with Robert Pattinson nice work if you can get it. Character. She's in this Amityville movie that I think was shelved for literal years. Yes. Um, and then, right, Annihilation. 
Which she's so good. I love her so much in that movie. I think she's fantastic. Um, She's in White Boy Rick, which I was at Toronto the one year and I did not see it. Um, Neither. That was Matthew McConaughey. She's in Possessor. A great, like... Freaking it. Again, it's sort of the same role that she's playing in Annihilation. You could tell me that it's the same Dr. (laughs) Ventress from Annihilation. She's just in Possessor. It's like, all right, cool. Um, and then the woman in the window. So like she's she's picky, she's choosy. She's in Twin Peaks The Return, which again was a thing that people really liked that I didn't watch beyond the first couple episodes. So like, you know, I I I It's I, fun. I think people did a lot, but it's fun. I, I walk dangerous ground with Twin Peaks because I respect the people who liked it. I also feel like some people did way too much with it. Everybody who put it on their best movie. Uh, top 10 list at the end of that year you are my enemy in some way or another um but like i like i love david lynch i respect every once in a while i think should i go back and try again with twin peaks return because i admit that the problem is me i admit that like i'm i'm a i'm a dummy dumb dumb and did not uh (laughs) latch on i had a good time with it i had a good time with it it's great see this is the that's like i don't didn't i don't doubt that but it's also so weird that everybody's like this was fun y'all and i'm like fun i don't understand that like it's just like it just seemed like work to like figure out what the fuck was going on and i know that like you're not supposed to know what's going on it's just you know go with the flow man and like maybe i'm too neurotic for twin peaks i don't know not a whole lot of JJL going on lately. She was in Lena Dunham's Sharp Stick in a role that I would very much believe was just written as Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. Uh, she was in Pullman. She was in Pullman. Which apparently will be seeing the light of day this year. She was actually done a, a decent number of television. She was in five episodes of Patrick Melrose. She's in that awful Stephen King adaptation, Lisey's Story, where it's her and... Julianne Moore, so together again, um, and uh, Clive Owen and Joan Allen. Like, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Joan Allen play sisters. I've said this eight billion times before. There is a thing where Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Joan Allen play sisters, and it's awful. And it's directed by Pablo Lorraine, and it's based on a Stephen King novel, and it's awful. And I'm so sad about that. Cinematography by Darius Kanji, awful. Not the cinematography, but like the whole project is bad. Um, Couldn't have better people associated for it to be so bad. It was really frustrating. She's also on that show Hunters for seven episodes. Uh, the one with Al Pacino and Logan Lerman, where they're uh, hunting Nazis in a sort I'm of... I'm good, love. I'm deeply good. It's not bad. I watched a few episodes of it. It's not bad. It's just like, it was a, there's too much television for me to invest in this kind of a show. Yeah, right. So. Um, and then also though, she's been in the most recent season of Fargo and like, you know, my feelings on Fargo, but I had so many people be like, even still this season of Fargo is really good to the point where I'm like Jennifer Jason Lee specifically is supposedly great in it. So I'm not, not curious to check it out, even though like catching up on a season of dramatic television that you've missed is like the most daunting thing in the universe like they could be like climb this mountain or watch an entire season of a dramatic tv show that you have missed and like catch (laughs) up to it and it's just like i would rather try and climb the mountain i'll die either way so um it's just so much work chris 
It's, so it's such fun. a weird movie for us to be hitting a six-timers club for this performer who yeah. is comically a non-entity in it. Though I have to say, in the past, you know, year, two years, the real growing appreciation and culture and critical reassessment of her career in the 90s, I think that's been somewhat spearheaded by the Criterion channel mm-hmm. um, in doing like a Jennifer Jason Lee, you yes. know, collection uh has been wonderful she's one of our finest love her okay so this is our sixth jennifer jason lee movie as you've mentioned comes after we did in the cut in our early days in our first miniseries um a thousand acres where she co-stars with jessica lang and michelle pfeiffer uh as sisters another one where she plays part of an iconic trio of sisters She's iconically a sister. We've talked about this, right? Where she's like, her, a lot of, like, she's played, you know, Mary Louise Parker's sister on Weeds and Nicole Kidman's sister. We need to, we need to put a death to the phrase, that's so mother, and we need to start saying that's so sister. That's so sister? Yeah. Yeah. That's Jennifer Jason Lee coded. Uh, Margo at the wedding. uh, uh, We've done Dolores Claiborne, where she started off as a Kathy Bates, as a daughter, not a sister. Uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, and now the woman in the window. So, as always, Chris, when we reach six times with an actor or actress, I come up with a little quiz to give to you about these six movies. Uh, the answers to these questions will be one or more of those movies. Have you jotted them down or in some way can look at them to know what your pool of They're answers are? They're burned in my memory forever. All right. Uh, are you ready for the Jennifer yes. Jason Lee six-timers quiz? Yes. All right. What was the longest movie of those six? Is it um? Is it a thousand acres? Not a thousand acres. Not a thousand acres. Um, it's not Margot at the wedding. It's not Woman in the Window. Is it Mrs. Parker and the Visage Circle? Nope. Damn. So it has to be. What one am I already forgetting? If you had written them down, as I suggested you do, you they're might... written in my brain. Uh... <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to pull up the tab. Yeah, is it? Um, is it in the cut? Nope, it's Dolores Claiborne. You, Dolores you... Claiborne. Why did I remember that as like being a buck forty-five? I could have written it down wrong. Let me write. Let me double check. Because Margot at the Wedding is like a solid 85-90. Woman in the Window is 100. Yeah. Maybe these just aren't very long movies. Nope, Dolores Claiborne is 132 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Flies right by. It does fly right by. It does fly right by. I'm not even joking. All right, what's the shortest of the movies? Margot at the Wedding. 93 minutes, correct. Which one has the best Rotten Tomatoes score? Ooh, um, gonna say Dolores Claiborne. Very good. Dolores Claiborne at 85%, which has the worst Rotten Tomato score. In the cut. No, surprisingly no. Woman in the window. No, surprisingly no. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A uh, thousand acres. A thousand acres, 24%. Woman in the window was 25%. 24%? Yeah. Yes, isn't that mean? Isn't that awful and mean? That's crazy. Yep, that is misogyny. Critics like, were is, really, really that is mean to that misogyny. Period. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. All right. 
Best box office. Uh, a thousand acres. No. Dolores Claiborne. Dolores Claiborne at a whopping twenty four point three million. So wow. Dolores Claiborne sweeps the longest best Rotten Tomatoes and biggest box office. I think that's the first time a movie. We gotta come, come up, up with a title for that. We do have to come up with it, but I think that might be the first time it's happened. So it's Dolores did. Um uh what's the lowest box office? Pulse of Dolores. Other than Dol- Women in the Window, which is Netflix. Right. That is that is a zero dollars. Yeah. Uh mm. Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. You would think, but no. Margot at the Wedding. Margot at the Wedding. Mrs. Mrs. Parker is 2.1 million. Margot at the Wedding is 1.9 million. There you go. Yeah. Which are the only two movies in this list to not take place in New York State? Um, Dolores Claiborne. Yep. Maine. And A Thousand Acres. Yep. Iowa. All of the other ones are either in New York City or uh long island uh in some way in some fashion or another um which is the only one of these movies to not star an oscar winning actress and they're all movies with a lot of women in them it's mrs parker isn't it no it has, that has gwyneth um it does have gwyneth. so it's in the cut it's in the cuts yeah. Unfortunately, Meg Ryan has never even been nominated for an Oscar we've talked about before. Yeah. yeah, Dolores Claiborne has, of course, Kathy Bates. Margot has Nicole Kidman. Thousand Acres has Jessica Lange. And uh, Woman in the Window has Julianne Moore. All right. Um, which two were nominated for Independent Spirit Awards? Uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. Correct. And Margot at the Wedding. Correct. Very good. Which t- both for Jennifer Jason Lee? No, you're gonna have to look that up because I did not make notation of it. Actually, no, I did not make notation of it. Um, let's see. What did we say, Mrs. Parker? We can cut this out. Mrs. Parker, I think, was the best feature nominee. That sounds about right. Margot was at least nominated for one acting prize. I just don't remember if it's Jennifer Jason Lee or Jack Black. Give me half a second. I'll look it up. Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle was nominated for Best Feature, Best Director, Best Female Lead, Best Male Lead, and Best Screenplay. So really, every big one did not win any of them. And Margot at the wedding. She was nominated for Margot. She was. Okay. She got a supporting female nominee for Anomalisa. I remember that. People... Seem to like Anomalisa more than I did. Likewise. All right. Um, next question. Which two of these movies feature scores by Danny Elfman? Woman in the Window. Yep. And in the cut? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, Dolores Claiborne. Yes, correct. Yeah. Which three were directed by people who have never been nominated for an Oscar. So they have never individually been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, Woman in the Window? Yes. Alas, Joe Woman. Wright. Uh, not even a picture nomination for him. No. Uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle? Correct. No, Alan Rudolph. And... It's between Dolores Claiborne and A Thousand Acres. I just forget who directed both of those movies. Uh, no, Dolores Claiborne is like Alan Parker? It's not Alan Parker. 
But it, I do think it is someone who's nominated for an Oscar, so I'm going to say A Thousand Acres. You're correct. Uh, Jocelyn Morehouse directed A Thousand Acres. She's never been nominated. Right. Taylor Hackford directed Taylor Hackford. Dolores Claiborne. Which movie was released in Aries season? So, The Spring. Uh, that is Dolores Claiborne? Correct. Very good. Which two movies played the Toronto Film Festival? Um... Margot at the Wedding and In the Cut. Yes, very good. Which in the Cut was a gala. <laughs> <laughs> Which two movies feature stars of Shakespeare in Love? Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. Gwyneth. And, um... Is it Margot at the Wedding for Kieran Hines? It's not Margot at the Wedding for Kieran Hines. Um, okay. That means... Is someone in Woman in the Window in Shakespeare in Love? No. Is it A Thousand Acres? It is A Thousand Acres. You want to guess who? For not one of the major actresses, but one of the husbands, I think. No. If you recall, one Colin Firth appears. Yes, as a character. he is one of the husbands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. There you go. All right. Which two movies feature stars of All the Money in the World? <laughs> Dolores Claiborne for Christopher Plummer. Yep. And Michelle Williams for A Thousand Acres. Very good, very good. Which two movies feature stars of A Map of the World? Uh, Julianne Moore for A Woman in the Window. Yep. And Sigourney Weaver is in... No... No, Strathairn is in Dolores Claiborne. Very good. I had totally forgotten that David Strathairn was in. Along with his booty hole. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right. Which two movies feature stars of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Um, That's a lot of stars. In the Cut has Ruffalo and... um, Yes. Is it? This one's very hard, but I but because of who it is, I feel like I'm justified in giving you this very hard one. Is it Wilkinson? No. Okay. Um. Not Winslet. Not Jim Carrey. Not Elijah Wood. Not Kirsten Dunst. Not Kirsten Dunst. Which means. It, this might depend on how recently you've seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless. It's been a while. Yeah. It's, uh, 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 Do you yes, remember who played Jim to... Carrey's friends? No. Okay. So but I know that they are people. Uh, yeah. I'm going to just flat out guess Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle. You are correct. It's for Jane Addams. Jane there's... Addams. Oh, Jane Addams. Yes. Well, there's also a million people in Mm -hmm. Mrs. Parker. Well well guessed. Well guessed. Yeah. All right. This one is mostly for me, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Which two movies feature stars of As the World Turns? (laughs) Woman in the Window, Julianne Moore. Yep. And, uh, uh, well. Just guess. I'm just going to guess Mrs. Parker. Nope. In the cut, Meg Ryan is a former As the World Turns star. I don't think I ever knew that Meg Ryan was a soap star. Yep. She's if you look at ever look up a list of like famous soap star alums, she's always on it. Yep. 
interesting. Of which movie did Rex Reed say, It is nasty, gruesome, pointlessly kinky, and gratuitously awful. Margot at the Wedding. No. In the Cut. In the Cut. Very good. Of which movie did David Edelstein say, See the movie if you like emotional car wrecks and people who can't hold their mud. A Thousand Acres? No. Margot at the Wedding? Margot at the Wedding. Have you ever heard the phrase, can't hold their mud? I imagine it sounds... No. It's like, can't hold their composure? Can't hold their liquor? I don't... I've never heard that phrase before, David Edelstein. So... Um, of which movie did our friend and past and future guest Richard Lawson say, It's a boondoggle we probably should have seen coming, but maybe we can all be forgiven for some desperate magical thinking during our long time of confinement, gazing outside and looking for something, anything, <laughs> that might make life a bit more exciting. The woman in the window. The woman in the window. I love that quote. You know, obviously, Richard's our friend. Boondoggle. And, uh, but, Richard. Like, that... That, to me, sums up the pleasures of The Woman in the Window. It's not good. It's, you know, but it's like, (laughs) especially when it came out, which is May of 2021 is sort of when I was emerging. I was Mm -hmm. like, I was in lockdown for a while. I was very cautious. I was very reticent. And I just started emerging around May of 2021 after like a long winter's nap. And it did feel like, you know, oh my god, we've all been shut in for all this time. Here's this movie that's like dealing with some of those themes, but is also like, again, finding something, you know, lurid and exciting and interesting and weird sort of outside of our windows. And um, uh, unsurprising that that Richard would have put it best. But um, yeah, what else? What We haven't talked about Gary Oldman at all, actually. Not much to say. The th- I mean, that's the thing about some of these performances. I, The one that I would maybe talk about is Brian Tyree Henry, because he's just such a charming well, let's, performer. Well, let's, let's, let's move and down so- the list. Because like, the thing about Oldman, I wanted to say just before we move on, is uh, he, he's obviously cast in this because he's coming off of Darkest Hour. The Joe Wright connection. The Joe Wright connection there. So he wins the Oscar for Darkest Hour, which is a thing that, like, you know how certain Oscars feel like they happen, Oscar wins happen, feel like they happened for, like, a hundred years, and some of them feel like they happened in the course of, like, two days? It feels like the Gary Oldman thing, I guess it would have been overshadowed by things like the Three Billboards discussion, or the James Franco thing happened that year, or, you know, Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele were new on the scene, like, all these other storylines really overshadowed Best Actor that year. And the only thing you really heard about Best Actor was this sort of, like, low-key discontent from people who hated Gary Oldman. And there are legitimate, to be sure, there are legitimate good reasons for hating Gary Oldman in terms of, like, being an abusive, you know, alcoholic and and all this sort of stuff. He, I mean, like, we, t- I forget what episode we might have talked about this on, but, like, he had a long reputation of not having a lot of friends from, you know, people he worked with and being a real fucking... It was probably I, Hannibal when we talked about it. Well, I remember when the movie The Contender came out, and yes. he was sort of buzzed for his supporting role in that because he really is, he's the featured villain. He's sort of the... If you watch that movie in a vacuum, you would be like, oh, I bet you they campaigned hard for this role because he's like 
He's such a dastardly figure. He's got an accent. He's got a thing, you know, whatever. And ultimately, Upgraded it's like, movie. oh, they nominated Jeff Bridges, the sort of affable oaf of a of a president. I wonder why they did that. And it's like, well, one is the more likable performance, but it's also one is a much more likable person in Hollywood and had like there was yes, there was that was when I first started hearing was like, oh, no, nobody in Hollywood likes Gary Oldman. So nobody's going to nominate him. And we've heard that kind of reputation it crop up for people like Sylvester Stallone before, and mm-hmm. um, even people like I definitely, I mean, whatever, grain of salt, allegedly, all this sort of stuff. John Cusack, I've definitely heard that, like, that's why mm-hmm. he's never been nominated because, like, nobody likes him. Um, so there are definitely well, we've things. We've talked about that on previous episodes. There are definitely things about Gary Oldman, and certainly, you know, I don't want this podcast to turn into, like, you know, digging into the timeline of when Gary Oldman was an abusive person versus when he was an alcoholic and when he's, you know, right. Whatever. Um, it's not really, I mean, like there's not much to talk about him in relation to this movie too. Uh, not a great year for Brian Tyree Henry. This is also the year that Eternals drops. Oh, and then the next year he gets the somewhat surprise nomination for Causeway. So sometimes it works out that it happened sometimes it works out um yeah i think he's really i mean i don't think there's a ton of room for him to be great in this movie but like that last scene with him and amy adams like he's very you know warm and he's he's very likable i think he's just a very likable actor and i'm always interested to see where he's going i like that he got the nomination for causeway i hope it sort of greases the wheels for next time Somebody decides to give him a lead role, and and he can mm-hmm. maybe get a nomination for that. I I don't know. I really like him. So more good things for Brian Tyree Henry. Fred Hetchinger had a moment where yeah. you couldn't, you know, look askance at a movie without him being in it or in a project. So was this the same year? Was this right before White Lotus happened? He was on White Lotus in yeah 2021. Yeah, so this would have been later. I think I think White Lotus was a uh, early fall premiere, late summer. No, July. So it was only a couple months. Yeah, it was before. a summer show. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I just like him. I don't know. He's in this. He was also in in 2021 those Fear Street movies, which I don't know if you saw or not on Netflix. I did not. Um, they were charming and and likable, and I thought he was quite good in those as well. So, like, this was a real. I didn't really know who he was before this. I know he had been in Vox Lux. I kind of want to go back and watch. He's in eighth grade, which I guess I kind of do remember him as one of the like, you know, popular kids, kids. in eighth grade. Yeah, one of the eighth grade kids in eighth grade. He's in okay. He's in a lot of movies that I saw. Actually, I saw Let Them All Talk. I saw Vox Lux. I saw Alex Strangelove. Weirdly. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, now I want to go back and see these movies again, maybe, because... News my, of the goddamn world. My my friend uh, Fred is in these, and and I call <laughs> I don't know why I call him my friend Fred. I'm definitely not. I don't know him in real life. But it just seems like, I don't know, he just seems like a, a a good kid. And Also did Underground Railroad and Pam and Tommy, so it's like, the the, the COVID years were good to were Fred. Were fruitful to no Fred, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now he's, he's been on the show. Gladiator 2... He's been on the shelf with Craven the Hunter for a good year now. So. Oh God, Craven the Hunter. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um. He's also in. Let's see. 
post production. Gladiator Two. Gladiator Two is coming. Gladiator Two, where he plays the whatever Emperor. the hell Gladiator Two is going to be. I, I I don't I don't think that there is a way out of who was it that was cast. In I don't Gladiator... think we can opt out of Gladiator Two. Unfortunately, I'm kind of looking forward to Gladiator Two. I have to say, even though I did not like Gladiator One, but like same. Who was it that had to drop out of Gladiator Two? Was it Barry Keoghan? Yes. So, do we think Fred replaced him? I think we know that. I think we know yeah. that that's who replaced him. Okay. So he's playing the like Joaquin stand-in. presumable villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paul Mescal plays the grown-up Spencer Treat Clark, as we all knew he would. Um, Denzel Washington is in it. Connie Nielsen is back. Derek Jacoby, um. Is back? Was he in the first one? Does it just seem like Derek Jacoby should have been in the first one? No, I think Derek Jacoby's in it. No, but I mean, was he also in the first Gladiator? Yes. No, I think I think he was. Okay. Uh, Joseph Quinn, Jacoby, and Alan Bates. Mm. Alan Bates is who died during the filming of the Oliver first Reed is who died during the Oliver film. Reed. Oliver Reed is Pedro one of them that was you know wrestling naked. Is Pedro Pascal still in it, or is he just sort of like? Dreamcast in it. He's in the Wikipedia entry, but I don't know if I can trust that. He's not listed as a character. He's just listed in the like. That seems to me like somebody like fantasy cast something, and they never <laughs> got his name out of it. Paul Mescal and Pedro Pascal, like the boys, will will that will seems perish. more like to me like Pedro Pascal is dying in the prologue sequence uh-huh. of the movie. That's what that seems. Joseph to Quinn be. is in it, who is also one of these like he's on every casting list now. He was in the most recent season of You're About to Sneer, Stranger Things, but I think he was really good in. That oh, he's season. the one that when you keep seeing these. Cast- photos together i'm like who's this guy yeah he was in stranger and things I he was i thought he was I really good anyway stranger things um i know he's uh freddie freddie my friend fred um is in this i think it's a post-production so i think we're we're safe that this is going to be a movie uh adaptation of colson whitehead's the nickel boys yes starring... this is long this has been in post-production for a while. We, Ellis we probably could anticipate this movie coming this year. I would imagine. It's Amazon MGM Studios, so... Yep. And then he's in post-production on uh, Kyle Mooney's movie uh, Y2K with a real... Uh, uh, this cast is interesting. So he's in this. Our friend Jaden Martell, uh, Nay Lieberherr, Rachel Zegler, Mason Gooding, um... Uh, the kid Leroy is in this. All right, Alicia Silverstone, Tim Heidecker. Like it's a, it's a, it's a. I don't know what this thing is going to end up being, but this is an A twenty four movie, um, A twenty four comedy with weirdo uh, Kyle Mooney from Saturday Night Live. So I imagine it will be strange. All right, and Fred, of course, has uh, Thelma with June Squibb, in which he is lovely. Do we expect that to get a release and soon? Do we think that's going to pop up again in the fall festivals? What do we think is going to happen to this? Let me see if that got distribution yet. Okay. It absolutely will. Oh, Magnolia. Magnolia bought it. So... What does that portend? We'll get wide distribution. Sure. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've heard good things. From you and others. All right. Um... What else do we want to talk about? Who else do we want? Wyatt. We talked about Wyatt at the beginning, so maybe we don't have to revisit Wyatt. I think, actually, okay. I think a lot of people give kind of like, I don't know if I would say like Wyatt Russell gives a great performance, but like for what the movie needs him to be, which is again, like 
gives exactly the performance. Perma suspicious, then like, yes. What would we say about Amy Adams's performance in this? I think we sort of like glided past this. She's bad. I don't think she's bad. She has to do so much. There are so many like very close up shots to her like absolutely distraught face. She's like, (laughs) there is a shot of her screaming between stair spindles that I'm like, this. Oh yes, that shot was for a trailer. Yes, like, um, it asks a lot of her. She's perma drunk all the time. She's like perma, like paranoid paranoid and like and 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 hysterical and none of it is her fault kind of of crying and kind of terrified and it's a lot of emotion to have to perform and i just sometimes i just sort of was exhausted by her performance a little bit was a little like i need a break from you (laughs) you know (laughs) which i guess works for that character and that like i feel like a lot of people in that movie were like i need a break from you so um i don't know I don't know. It's not going to be on my list of favorite Amy Adams performances. No, no. But in the, like, you know, who was going to win? Who who could win in this, <laughs> in this environment? And yet, she did okay. I think she did I think, okay. I think she handles a lot of the cliche and hacky stuff that this yeah. movie is tasking her to yeah. work with. I think that's and right. Comes out dutifully. Like dutifully. Dutifully is a good way to put it. All right. Any last thoughts or di- diversions before we start to wrap her up? Um I don't think so. This movie wants me to confuse all blonde people to be the same because right. I think casting uh Wyatt Russell as the red herring to actual killer Fred Hetchinger. Is not not intentional. Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, this movie thinks that blonde people are bad. Um, for that, maybe they're right. Well, and to uh, to put iconic redhead Julianne Moore in blonde hair feels like you know intentional. <laughs> there, she only plays unhinged blondes uh, when she is blonde. Wait, who else are we thinking of? Uh, May December, Freedom Land, <laughs> Freedom Land. Wow. I guess I guess my final thoughts are with Julianne Moore because I will 100% be doing a Julianne Moore rewatch this year I've decided. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. Good, I'm going to do it. I rewatched Boogie Nights the other day. We don't talk about her enough as an actor who does a voice. <laughs> I feel like we talk about Julianne we talk about Natalie Portman yeah. in that way, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. Julianne likes to do a voice, and uh, the way her characters sound are as important as the way her characters move. And that's fair. I'm I'm just very excited to uh, do a big deep dive into one of my favorite performers of all time. Uh, I should also say this movie was nominated for five Razzie Awards. We don't want to give too much oxygen to the Razzies, of course. It lost four of those five. Well, it lost one of those five to Space Jam: A New Legacy in the category of worst remake, ripoff, or sequel. Um, and then it lost the other four to the Netflix distributed, uh, recorded from the stage, Diana. Now, I am not one of those people who saw Diana on Broadway. I was already <laughs> safely across the state when that happened. I. 
there has been a sort of cult of the Diana musical that has like cropped up. And there are people who seem to genuinely, um, genuinely have found enjoyment in the Diana musical. And so I think those people would be up in arms over the Razzies. Uh, but I also feel like the people who love Diana, where would they be without the hatred that Diana got? Because there is no cachet to loving Diana unless it's infamously awful. So <laughs> I guess you're welcome. I never watched it. From the I never watched the Netflix pro shot. Listen, we had to watch the Naomi Watts Diana. That was plenty enough. So maybe this is why i'm averse to all diana material i have seen that movie. i also stopped watching the crown before debicki showed up and lord knows i love elizabeth debicki and support her always so i never watched the crown the worst picture filled with people i love i didn't watch it i think the razzies just were not trying in this year because their nominees for worst picture were diana woman in the window space jam a new legacy this movie called Karen that feels like it was like swiftly produced to um, it was a TV movie too. It was the Taron Manning yes uh, the that day on Twitter during the pandemic when that trailer came out and like ne- then no one ever cared again. Cynically produced, we're going to capitalize on this moment of the the uh, movement against racist Karens, and then a movie called Infinite that was a Paramount Plus movie. That starred Mark Wahlberg and Shuatel Edgy for oh, it's an Antoine Fuqua movie. How did I never hear oh, about Oh, I this? heard that this was a disaster. The pandemic was a weird time. There were movies that I fully like obsessed about, and then there were movies that happened and I never paid them any attention. That's crazy. And probably got a lot of eyeballs because people will literally just fire up anything that shows up on their app. And yet it's Paramount Plus. So like you would imagine that like fewer people were like hanging out on Paramount Plus. Right. Whatever. All right. Joe, I think it's time for the IMDb game. Well, Would you like to explain time. the IMDb game for our sure. listeners? Sure. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television shows, voice-only performances, or other non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released here as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of him. Fantastic. Are are you in the position of wanting to give or <laughs> to guess first? I'll give. Um. So where did this go? Well, I think I lost it. Let me bring it up again. Um. So. We've talked about briefly, Joe Wright had directed Darkest Hour, which won an Oscar for Gary Oldman and co starred the likes of Ben Mendelssohn and Kristen Scott Thomas, and also as Churchill's, you know, perky little secretary, Lily James, who Lily James. was so hot right then. Uh, so why don't you? Give me the IMDb known for, for Lily James. Lily James. Uh, I am going to guess Darkest Hour as a Best Picture nominee in her filmography. Incorrect. Known for. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, Mamma Mia, here we go again. There you go. Back on started. track. Yes. Um, Cinderella. Very good. Title character. And here's where it gets tough. You got the easy ones, yeah. and then there are two that are tougher. 
because there there's definitely like a British ensemble in here. Um that is not a Mia Mama. Um not Mia Mama, honey. Not the other What's Love Got to Do with It that never changed its title. No. Um, that I saw at that tiff and was like, well, I didn't need to see that. Um <laughs> No, I, f- I forgot about that. That's I'm right. I'm not going to guess that, though. Okay. Uh, but that's coming to mind. Okay. Uh, see, the, the pro- this is the problem with Lily James, because pre-Mamma Mia, I kind of had Lily James face blindness. I think if you didn't watch Downton Abbey, it was hard to, to differentiate her from a lot of other actresses. Yeah, All the Downton Abbey people look alike to me. See, she, for whatever reason, she's... I I. I know it's a cliche that sort of like they look too modern to be in this, but like she always was a little too, to me, little too modern to be in Downton Abbey. Yeah. But, but you said no TV. So Downton Abbey's not in there. I don't think she's well, in the Downton Abbey movie. Oh yeah. Downton Abbey movie. No, I didn't no, I, 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 I lured you into that. So like that's, that doesn't count. Um, oh, it can count. She's also not in it, but I know I lured you into that. She's not in the Downton Abbey movies at all. So she was already out of there. Or do you want the years? I'll give you your years. I'll give you the years. Okay. I, I think that counts because I legitimately guess. 26... Even though I've seen that movie, never watched the show. <laughs> 2016, 2017. Okay. So before and same year as. No, these are both before Mamma Mia. Yes. But the same year as Darkest Hour. The second one is, yeah. Which, what else would she have been doing at that time that would be on her known for, but not Darkest Hour? You can see why she, it, she wouldn't have that on her known for, but being a Best Picture nominee. Yeah. Kind mm-hmm. of a Best Picture nominee that people forget about, though. My guess is you've only seen one of these two. My guess is you didn't like the one that you saw. One of them's an action movie, right? Yeah. And she's like the woman yes. in an action movie. Yes. It's not a Terminator movie. That's Amelia Clark. No, that's too, think lighter. Think sort of lighter in tone. Silly comedy. Not really silly, but like, um, uh, it's tough to describe it without giving it away. Um, right. More stylish than violent, even though there is violence in it. And it's not like Ryan Reynolds comedy. No. It's like no, but not Jason Statham. No. Ooh, I know. I feel like I have seen her in something, in whatever this is going to be. But like, what are the staples of those sort of like stylish action movies? Guns, but also ammo. No knives. No, think less violence and more just like what kind of set piece scenes do you see in those? Boom, explosions. Uh space? No. Um like a Fast and the Furious movie. That's gonna give it away a little bit. Cars, vroom vroom. Yeah. Vroom vroom chase chase. Yeah. Um yes. oh, what car movie was she? Oh, it's yeah, I hate this movie, I know. Baby Driver. Yes, correct. I hate that movie. Okay, so the other one, 2016, I don't think you've seen, but you've definitely heard of. It's one of those movies that kind of exists as a title. It's based on a book. It's, um... Not a costume drama. Is a costume drama. It's not a costume drama, but it's like... 
it's not a costume drama, but it is a costume something thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But exists as a title. Exists as a title as a punchline, or kind of. It's one of those things where it's just like that title is is designed to catch your eye and be like, "What are you talking about?" And that's sort of how it existed as a a book. Got it. Uh, uh, that's written and directed by Burr Steers. I did not know that. Interesting. Let's see. I think she's the lead of this. She is the lead of this. Um, it's not like based on a book, but it's like oh, this is amazing. I don't think this is going to give it to you, so I'm just going to give it to you. The title, the the booking is the billing is with Matt Smith, with Charles Dance, and Lena Headey. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so it's British. Yeah. And okay, so it's like, is this like some Dragon Lancer shit? No, it's not. Why that. would Lena Headey be in it if it's not? Um, it's like it's it's fucking with genres. That's the whole the, the whole point of it is like let's fuck right. with genres. And Matt Smith is in it too. Yeah, and it's it's but it's a British version of that. Burst ears. Wow. Yeah. Um. it's one of those like you definitely saw this paperback on like in displays at at borders or whatnot for like a long time um it's it is it like a would-be franchise like an aragon it's not necessarily that but like this type of book there are other types of books like it you know what i mean it's like this is sort of like a little like mini genre like a spider wick type of it's like, okay, you started with costume drama. Like, f- like explore that space a little bit. Like, uh, what could be what uh, what could be remixed with costume drama? Like the the other Bolin girl type books. Mm, yeah, but more like more grungy, more. Oh no 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 no! I know what this is. Yeah. It is Pride and Prejudice versus Zombies. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're like, you saw that paperback all the time everywhere. Am I right yes, that you never 100%. saw this movie? I never saw the movie, no. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. Very good. Well done. Lily James. Wow. Yeah. The first two human people to talk about Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and Zombies in, since in a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So for you, I went the Fred Hetchinger route, Ooh. and I, uh, you know... Thinking of Amy Adams and Julianne Moore being uh, mothers together in Dear Evan Hansen, I was like, oh, well, Fred Hetchinger's mom in White Lotus is Connie Britton. So for you, I have chosen Connie Britton. How have we never done Connie Britton before? I guess not. Okay. Uh, one television. Okay, now this is interesting because... Exactly. I'm going to guess Friday Night Lights. Incorrect. Nashville. God darn it. Nashville is correct. Okay. (sighs) All right. I zigged. They zagged. That's fine. All right. Uh, Three movies. Three movies. Three movies. Um, Is it Friday Night Lights the movie? No. She's the only crossover. (laughs) She's the only crossover actor between those two. Okay. This is where it gets real fun. Give me years. 2012, 2014, and 2015. 
Oh. All right. 2012. One of these is a movie that we've done an episode on. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's not Beatrice at the Wedding, or Beatrice at Dinner. Beatrice at the Wedding. That's the sequel to Beatrice at (laughs) Dinner. Would watch. Uh, No, because that's 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, 2016? What is What's 2014? 2012? 2014 is the one that we did an episode on. Uh, this is a huge cast. I. It's not surprising that she's not. This is where I leave you. This is where I leave you. Yeah. yeah. Not surprising that her being in that movie doesn't immediately leave. To right, 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 right. Okay. <laughs> All right. 2015 and 2012. 2012. What was she doing? 2012 is we have done uh, two other movies by this director. This is her first feature. This director's first feature. Yes. Okay. We have done episodes on her two features after that. Okay. So, not Karen Kusama, not Sarah Polly. Um, this movie I, you know, have maybe mixed feelings about, but I think we unequivocally love her other two movies and... Uh, her third feature is uh, very important to the lore of this podcast. Lorenzo Scafaria. I would say. Oh, this is yeah. Seeking a Friend at the End of the World. There you go. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Connie Britton in that movie. Yeah. And it's on or known for. Yeah. The 2015 movie has been scrubbed from the face of the earth. <laughs> I have no idea. I never saw this movie. Okay. It was apparently not very good. Comedy? Didn't know that Connie Britton was in it. She is third build for it. Comedy? Yes. 2015 comedy. Like, dumb comedy or, like, Uh, technically? Probably dumb. Okay. Uh, This is also kind of a blurring genres type of thing. The two headliners of this movie are... Two people who have done multiple movies together haven't been in something together in a while, but like you always see them like talking about working together. All right, or, or they're like their past of working together. They're like they clearly like working. Famous duo. I wouldn't say a famous duo, okay. but like you're you, at the end of this, you're going to be like, oh yeah, they did work. Is it together like a Bill a, Murray a thing? Times. No, no, uh, much younger stars. They, bu- Keenan and Kel. Uh, no, the they both. Uh, t- they, they, I saw some headlines about them talking about each other or like giving each other tributes at this year's Sundance. They were both because there? they both had. They were both there with movies. Schwartzman. No. Eisenberg. Yes. And not Emma Stone. <laughs> Woody Harrelson? This is an action comedy. Um, Action comedy. It's Eisenberg and... For people who don't do action movies. Is it, like, is it like 30 minutes or less? No. Not 30 minutes or less. This movie exists less than 30 minutes or less. Wow, okay. Um... Did Eisenberg do a lot of like movies? At least this movie and another movie with Eisenberg, but no, there's like they've done 
three movies together. I think there's four. I'm going to go back and... Actor. Fine. An actor. A female actor. Emma Stowe. No. She wasn't at Sundance. Kristen Stewart. Correct. Oh, right. She was there with Love Lies Bleeding. Okay. Kristen Stewart, Jesse Eisenberg. What year? 2015. Is They've done at least three movies together. Is she in Adventureland? She is in Adventureland. That is older than 2015. No, I was gonna, I was thinking Connie Britton. I don't think Connie Britton's in Adventureland. Oh, right, yeah. right. Right, yeah, Adventureland's way older than 2015. Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, Connie Britton. Kestu and Jesse Eisenberg were also in Woody Allen's Cafe Society, which this is not that. Right. This is the other movie. It's a comedy with Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, and Connie Britton. Why? Action comedy. Ugh. Okay. And it's not 30 minutes or less. It- they definitely play uh, stoners. I believe that the title of this movie is a type, is a weed strain. But not pineapple. But it is not pineapple Ty- express. Not pineapple <laughs> express. Fuck. I maybe just like don't know this. Do I? This movie definitely bombed. I think this was a spring release. When did they release this movie? Yeah. No, this was an August movie. 15, 2015. 2015. Uh, you recently quizzed. Think it was you. You quizzed Katie and I on Best Picture nominees with this word in the title. <laughs> uh woman? No. Um no. what did I just quiz you guys on? Oh, oh, um American. American yes. Ultra? American Ultra. Fucking Ma- Connie Britton. Mad Nerd's ass Ultra title. I do remember a movie existing called American Ultra. I've never seen it. Um, what is it even about? I think that they, it, the two of them are confused for some type of right. Right. drug activity and then like go on the run from the government. All right, man. Sounds like a movie that came out in August. That's so unnecessary, IMDb. Like, genuinely. <laughs> Fucking fix That's it. also just one of those known fours that when I saw that, I was like, well, we're doing We've definitely this. never done it before, because I remember fucking American Ultra for Connie Britton. Jesus Christ. All right. That's all right, all. Joe. Yes. What an episode. What an episode. Woman in the Window. Finally did it. Thank you to Peter for uh, making us do this. Yes. And we we will have... Future Patreon Select episodes, uh, including one next month, uh, but we'll uh, space them out as they come in. Indeed. Uh, but we hope uh, all the listeners who selected episodes uh, enjoyed this run and that our other listeners loved it as well. Yeah, we had a really but good time. Fun. This was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's some good... Uh, Meat and potatoes, this had Oscar buzz, Mm -hmm. and also just, uh, you know, talking about some of our faves and uh, spending a lot of time in Europe. 
Uh, but for now, that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, on Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz, and also sign up for our Patreon, $5 a month at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, yes. where can the listeners find more of you? Yeah, I'm on socials. Try me, I guess, uh, at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And you can catch me at Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. Uh, we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, not Stitcher. Stitcher is dead. Uh, Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So stop staring at us from across the window. Go out into the street of the Apple Podcast reviews and slam that fifth star. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye.